Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Graham McMillan and I wrap up May with a two-and-a-half-hour deep-cut comic book conversation. Today we talk Iron Man and Stark Wars, the loneliness of the long-distance cartoonist, the final issue of Superman Smashes the Clan, and the first issue of Spider-Man and Venom, Double Trouble, Morbius, the living vampire, and the breakdown of the Marvel 70s system, Justice League Dark, the recently completed run of Justice League by Scott Snyder, Leviathan Hunt, Comics News, a musical number, and much, much more. We welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan. Howdy. Howdy. How are you? You know, I'm I'm pretty good in some ways, maybe not as good in other ways, but mostly I would say, I would say, I would say I'm well. And yourself? That, that's good. Honestly, when you said I'm pretty good in some ways, not so much in other ways, mostly I say, I honestly thought you were going to say middling. <laughs> Why were you? I'm middling. Yes. I'd be like, okay, sure. Yeah, like, right. That makes that, sense. That's literally yeah. what you just described, Jeff. Uh, but yeah. yes, no, I would say middling, but maybe on the high to fair side. That sounds like a weather forecast, but a weather forecast for a day that I would appreciate. Well, lovely. And yourself? So, yeah. How are you? Yes? I am, oh, I yes. am fine. I am also doing relatively well. Uh, I am in the middle of a relatively long period of of not working. Mm. Um, THR is, didn't publish on, or well, did publish, but isn't working on Friday, and isn't working on Monday either. Oh, interesting. So this is weird. I can't think. I don't think I've had four days off since Thanksgiving last year. Wow. Um, and it's great. I can mm-hmm. already tell you my stress level is significantly decreased despite, you know, gestures to the entire world. <laughs> uh, but it's also weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I've had two days off, so I guess I'm working tomorrow. Wait, I'm not. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, interestingly enough, my office decided Monday was going to be a holiday and they said announced at the end of last week that Friday, yesterday was also going to be a holiday. So, I too am off Friday and Monday, but of course because um you know, because I'm a, a loathsome lie about, I'm also taking off Tuesday and Wednesday. So, part of why I'm good is you're I just, am You're like I'm off for for ages two days into six days off and i will say yesterday morning i logged on to do a couple of quick work chores and my blood pressure instantly shot through the roof because of various work related things and so i got off work i was like oh god like i got i finally logged out yeah at like 10 30 or 11 and i'm like holy shit i can't look at work again or else i will just flip the fuck out it's um, funny you say yeah. that. Like so, so I also did a little bit of like unofficial work-related stuff yesterday. Right. Um, but also, you know this and and whatnots don't. But um, because of the COVID, everything, I'm I'm furloughed for a day a week from DHR. Yeah. Uh, which is Wednesday, and I generally have a little bit of work to do beyond THR stuff on Wednesday. Like, stuff I can't really put off. Otherwise, I'd push it to, like, I'd do it on Tuesday or push it Thursday. Yeah. And I've discovered that I kind of have to do it in the morning. 
Mm. No matter what it is, no matter when it is. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, it just hangs over me. So mm-hmm. you being like, I was done by work at 10.30, I was like, of course you were, because you started work at like 9, because <laughs> you probably had exactly right. the same thought I did, mm-hmm. which is... If I don't just do this, I'm just going to be thinking about it all day. Yep. Exactly. All day. <laughs> yeah. We had these we had these uh, errands that we were going to drive into San Francisco and run relatively early on. And originally I was, you know, kind of like, oh, yeah, so I'll get up. I'll have a leisurely morning and then I'll take care of, you know, log in, do this stuff. And then we'll get to the city. And I was like, why? I'm just going to be haunted by this for hours. Yeah. So, yeah, logged on earlier to, to knock it out of the way. Um, very much, very much the mode. So, um, yeah. So, so two days in, six days off. So Wednesday. So, but your Wednesday was mostly off, and then you work Thursday, my and then you have Friday. My Wednesday is mostly off, and it's mm-hmm. it's really. So yeah. So uh, I worked Monday, Tuesday this week. Then I was, you know, for the most part, not working Wednesday. Right. Then Thursday was a crazily heavy day of work mm. because Friday I was working. Right. Right. And, yeah. and like stuff's happening jeff mm-hmm. you know this like various things are, are being announced are going to be announced and there's various things in progress and i just said thursday to do like an exceptional amount of stuff yeah yeah an exceptional amount of stuff right including touch wood something i can't say on air now but i believe on tuesday something really great is going to be announced Ooh. something that if you know me is so fucking relevant to my interests uh it's it's nuts and if it comes together not the project which i know is definitely happening but if your ability to yeah if the story i think i'm working on comes together right and the things that may come together for it come together uh even though as i said like i've been furloughed from thr for a week uh, Mm for a day a week uh like you know wired again just announcing it because like at this point i i you know, it's so close to happening. Like I'm, I've been laid off from Wired. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite those things, it will still be like such a highlight <laughs> that I'm like, well, 2020 wasn't that bad. Wow. Like that's how, like that's how uh, personally exciting it is for me. Okay. And it's not just that it's a thing that I am particularly interested in. Uh-huh. It's if the story comes off in the form it's supposed to come off. Wow. It's something that uh, I'll I'll just be like, well, you know, off bucket list. Right. Like, Holy shit. Okay. Well, so tell me what it is, but then you'd have to edit out the podcast, and if you forgot to edit the podcast, it'd be really bad. Yeah. You know, we've we played with fire recently yeah, with I know, things I know. that we shouldn't. So I'm let's saying, hold off. I tell you, I don't, I don't, oh, you know. Graham, yeah. Graham McMillan. Um, this is what you're like, tell me, and I'll just call you back. <laughs> right. I thought about it. I should do that, shouldn't I? Um, <laughs> ooh, do I? Damn it, Graham. Uh, uh, okay, I'll call you right back. Give me a minute. Uh, real? Yeah, I'll talk to you in a sec. I want to okay. know what it is, and okay. this will save us. Hold on. Okay. And we're back. Yes, we are. And let me tell you, listeners, I'm really glad I... No, no, no pun intended. Made that call because uh, holy cow! Um, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. So, like I said to you on the bit we didn't record, I, I'm, you know, we'll see if it happens. But if it happens, mm-hmm. yeah, right. Yeah, that's amazing. That is amazing. Hey, talk, talking about highlights of the year. Yes. Um, I got the new Adrian Tomini book. Oh, really? In the mail. 
The Loneliness of Long Distance Cartoonist. Do you know about this book? I had heard of it. Has it been delayed or something? I swear that sounds familiar, uh, but not been, recently. I know, so. No, they announced it at San Diego last year. Oh, okay. But it's not been delayed. Like, it wasn't supposed to come out until next month, and I think it's maybe like two weeks delayed or something ridiculous like that, but okay. it's not been very delayed. It's basically Tomini talk, or drawing um, an autobiocomic about basically his worst experiences as being a, a, in comics. Wow. Wow. And it is... It's fucking great. Mm. Like, I have been hot and cold in Tomini, mostly cold, mm-hmm. like, for some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked, you know, this sounds such a fucking, like, annoying thing. I really liked his super early stuff. Yes. And then, as he started, basically as he went on, to me, his work got more and more, like, cold and clinical and, yeah. and right. like, cynical and withdrawn. Yep. Uh, and this is not any of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is is genuinely like pages and pages and pages of awkwardness, an awkwardness that is almost a humble brag in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of I am friends with this really famous cartoonist, but then he gets recognized and I don't. Mm-hmm. You know, here I am at a book signing, but no one turns out. But I'm still doing a book signing and you know this big New York bookstore. Um, but all of it is. It's really great, Jeff. It's it's it is it's very funny. Hmm. It is, you know, it's it it is humble braggy, but he always comes off as the butt of the joke for want of a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Like even in the parts where there are things that are happening to him, mm-hmm. he always makes a point of centering his own reactions as being a terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> like in there, so imagine if you will curb your enthusiasm, right? Starring Adrian Tomini. huh? Okay. Uh, and all about, like, they're all related to, like, his career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a joy. Mm. It, it sounds horrible because it's literally like laughing at other people's misery. No, <laughs> no, no. It, that's great. It's joy. It's oh. so good. And it's so, um, it's, it's a quick read, but like, there's a lot there. The, the, the book, and I'm not spoiling anything because this is actually like they've talked about how the book came about. Tomini had a health scare. Mm-hmm. And during the health scare, basically was like, I've fucking wasted my life. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've spent decades mm-hmm. being obsessed with this industry that I'm not even really a part of anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and why? <laughs> right. Like, what has this ever given me? <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's it's it, it, but it ends with with that event. It ends with a health scare, mm. which is like the one thing that isn't uh, something in my life is terrible and laughable. Right, right. But it doing it in that way really grounds the book in a way that's really really enjoyable, and it honestly makes it weirdly optimistic, hmm. considering everything else is happening. Right. Um, yeah, I really loved it. I really, really loved it. Oh, that's fabulous. I, I was floored by how much I, I appreciated it on sort of multiple levels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, but you know, it's it has the humor. It has the the it has the technical brilliance of of his more recent work. Mm-hmm. But he's he's it, the artwork's still much looser. Hmm. Um. It has the precision, but it's – this sounds like a, a strange thing to say. It has the precision, but also it's dumber. Mm-hmm. 
And so somehow the combination of those two things works really well for me. Hmm. I feel like a lot of Tomini's writing, especially in recent years, has been clinical and detached and and very arch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this book is not, because this book is literally just like, you know, embarrassment after embarrassment after embarrassment after embarrassment. Hmm. You know? And so there's a humanity in it that I think has been missing from his work for a long time. Hmm. Yeah, I just, I really, really liked it. It's apparently out in July. Huh. Um, and, yeah, I, I I highly recommend it, but I specifically highly recommend it to you. <sighs> really? Because you you think it'll, it'll just tickle my funny bone? You, you know, well, I mean, it's kind of minor, but, you know, do you know my Adrian Tomini story or no? I do not. I didn't even know you had an Adrian Tomini story. It's, well, I mean, story is overselling it. It, it, what it I is. I really want to say that you'd be like, I once bought whatever. Well, so like, I, I right, I yeah. Of it. <laughs> at, I was at the Alternative Press Expo uh, one year, and it was. I had literally maybe the week before, two weeks before, read. Optic Nerve issue three or four. Like it was one of his original self-published ones because he was here in the Bay Area. Um, and it was, and so I saw him at Ape and I was like, holy shit, your work is amazing. Like you've got the chops. You're going to go far. And he was like, and he literally was like, yeah, um, Drawn and Corley is actually publishing my next issue. I'm like, well, that's great. I'm th awesome. You are absolutely, it's well-deserved. You've just, you got it all. And it's just that classic, like, he could not give a shit that I was, like, totally, like, just enamored with his work. And genuinely excited for him. Like, you, your work is great. And you're going to have a great career because you're great. And I know that on the one hand, some... Uh, people like that's a it's hard to hear it's hard to process one of the things that he did which was um both like standard like cartoonist like good cartoonist 101 is he turned to his table mate who i think was megan kelso and was like well megan's work is really great too you should pick that up and what was great is she was like oh no 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 you know but but i know that that's kind of a thing because like at another alternative press expo when i met kate beaton and was talking to her I was like, oh my God, you're amazing. And she she was tabling with like Dylan McConus. And she's like, oh, you should try Dylan McConus's work because she's great too. And D Dylan McConus was similarly, oh, ha, ha, ha. And of course, Dylan Dylan's work is great. But, and, and as is Megan Kelso's, don't get me wrong, I think it was Megan Kelso. But the difference between the um, Tomini already kind of he did such an amazing job of again could be shy could be overwhelmed over a matter of things but absolutely managed to maximize the bad taste in my mouth about it um so hearing this whole thing of like oh <laughs> it's gonna be great it's him complaining about you know no 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 because no. here's the thing it's not him complaining well and saying that makes me think that you should really read this book uh... then 
complaining, kvetching, whatever it is, you know? I'm like, no, I'm sure you're right, but... It's not him kvetching. Mm-hmm. If it was him kvetching, I would find that distasteful as well. Okay. All right. It's very much, he is the butt of the joke at all times. And he is aware of quite how um, awkward and unpleasant is too strong. Mm-hmm. But he's aware of basically how bad he comes across. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he plays that up. Mm-hmm. Like this is not this is not him laughing at everything else. This is him purely putting himself out to be laughed at. Mm-hmm. And honestly, yeah, reading the book and then hearing that your story, mm-hmm. and that makes perfect sense. Like having read the book, uh, okay, right, <laughs> of, yeah, of course, do that, right, right. Yeah, no, and I, I, I sort of see it. So there's a way in which I'm like, yeah, I should read it. Barbie's like, grab, don't make, don't make me read it. I mean, the thing Starting that's funny I've is read, I've read so many other terrible books that this is actually a book I like, and I'm actually suggesting you read it. Well, that is true. That is absolutely you could true. Paying off the karmic debt of blaming me for all the shit that you have read. Oh. <laughs> Whoa, whoa, whoa! Let's just trim. Let's let's. I'm gonna have to edit that part out, Graham. That last little part. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, you have a a different uh, memory of these events, and it's a shame. So, anyway, yes, you're right. I will, and I should, and God only knows. I mean, again, I've continued to read the guy's stuff um, for decades after that happened, like because it's literally just that good. Yeah. have talked him up to me yeah 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 yeah. like yeah. when i've been like yeah this isn't doing it for me you've been like no but luke and yeah. so it's funny that now i'm like this is this is great book you're like is it though <laughs> <laughs> because 20 years ago this guy was a dick to me and it's like really <laughs> see and so the, well, but so the thing is is if it was about anything else if you're like oh, i read too many and uh I'm, i would just be like ah it, it'd be fine if it was anything else but his whole like oh yeah it's him literally anything him talking to his career in comics i'm like ah that is like actually the one actively sourced spot and and i will tell you graham i have had a week with maybe literally one exception uh maybe one and two one and a third exceptions comics have utterly failed me this week i oh okay now admittedly a lot of that is we get into my reading choices some of that you're going to be like jeff that's on you that's your fault and, well, now I'm, su- I'm super curious. To be yeah. Well, uh, so, gosh, where do I start? Oh, let's start with the two that haven't failed you. Let's start with the good things. Okay. So somehow I don't quite know how this happened. I thought that it had not come out Uh in a single release, but I was somewhat disgruntled when Superman smashes the clan came out as a trade because I was like, they never released the third issue of it, but apparently I was wrong. They did release the third issue of it. They probably did it back in two months ago, but I was like, why did, did they ever? And I did a search, bought the issue and read it this week. And the third issue of Superman smashes the clan I thought was fucking great. Like, really, really, really good. I liked the first two issues, like, enough. 
you know, it's really kind of my sweet spot of, you know, basically, um, you know, golden age, semi-depowered Superman. Yes. Uh, and there were a few pieces in there that I was like, mm, I don't know if he's gonna, but, but issue three so nails everything that he's going for and totally like every, like almost literally every choice that he makes in how he is portraying Superman at the point in his career that he is um, for Superman smashes a clan, which is a period piece is just, they pull off brilliantly. So I thought Superman smashes final issue, fabulous. Also incredibly just, um, whereas the first few issues late went heavy on character and kind of light on the action sequences. The third issue does a great job of sort of setting up like action set piece after action set piece. That's really, really good. So I just thought it was just a phenomenal piece of craft. And I'm, you know me, I'm in the tank for Guri Haru's art just almost always. But, but I I thought Guri Haru's art and that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, like but... they, they, what they do on that book is, and I like them. I like them enough, mm. but like I love the art in Superman Smashes Clan, and also, and I put this up on Tumblr, the Spider-Man Venom book they did for Marvel yes, the, other, the other which month was was like also just fucking great, fucking fabulous. I ended up reading that after seeing it on your Tumblr. Well, actually, I you know saw it in Marvel Unlimited. I'm like, oh, what if I should check that out? I thought it was just a Guru cover because mm-hmm. the way Marvel Cause, Unlimited cause, yeah, presents Marvel, their yeah. credits or shit. But uh, when you had the excerpt pages, I'm like, holy crap! And I I adored the first issue of that. And this is one of the things that I think is kind of interesting is. It the one my one qualm is Superman smashes the clan for whatever reason the colorist uses a subdued almost dusty palette I think mm-hmm. to sort of cho- give the choice of kind of like oh this is a this is a quote unquote old story yes this is, this is olden times yeah and and I think that really hot. Colors makes Guri Huru's art pop so much. So, like in Spider Man and Venom, just the the combination of that very cartoony style with the really bright colors, but just like really superb draftsmanship going on underneath, just really. Uh. But yeah, no, it, it's it's Guri Huru's stuff. Like I said, I've I've previously I've been like that's cute enough. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't really do it for me, but Superman smashes the clan, and arguably more of the Spider-Man Venom book. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I feel like they've got a dynamism in there that's been missing before. And like you said, the coloring in the Spider-Man book it, it's great. Yeah, yeah. So that really that that little tag team uh, actually was that was that this week? Maybe it was. It was last week. The Spider-Man thing. Came yeah, up, but I may not have read it till this week. I'm yeah. sorry. So in which case that would, those would be my two, you know, um, those were great. And I mean, there was other stuff that was, eh, but it, uh, it would not surprise you, Graham, that most of my disappointment has come from reading adventure into fear, starring Morbius, the living vampire <laughs> on Marvel Unlimited. You saw that they added more issues this week, right? I, I did. And I read, and I read all of those the last couple of days and they are even worse. And, 
And what's amazing is, so Adventure into Fear with starring Morbius the Living Vampire runs up to issue 31 and they have collected up to issue 30. Now I'm sure next week they'll drop the final issue, but I'm like, the last time, the other week, part of what drove me crazy was I sat down and I read issues 20 through 25, which were an amazing catalog of like everything that, uh, everything that was bad about Marvel comics in the seventies, including the part for me of like, wait a minute, this stupid story doesn't wrap up. And it's like, nope, the conclusions in issue 26, which again, got dropped this week. So I read issues 26 through 30. And again, like, uh, it's an encyclopedia. Like I, as you know, Graham, like I love Marvel comics in the seventies Every flaw that someone could say those comics have is is amplified to an undeniable degree with these Morbius comics. And the worst part is I feel this has taught me a horrible, horrible lesson, which is I will now hate read Morbius comics by choice. I went back and read Morbius issue one by 20 uh, from 2019 that also hit Marvel. Yeah. Limited. The, the Vita Ayala. Book. Vita Ayala stuff. Right. Exactly. I'm going to go back and God help all of us read. I think Joe Keating's uh short lived nine or 10 issue series. Oh yeah. That was, did I even make it nine or 10 issues? Uh, maybe it made it nine. It may have, it may have, I think uh, literally see. only because they promised him nine issues. Maybe it made it nine. It made him nine issues. Yeah. So, um, that, that was just, yeesh. yeah, to put it mildly, what, what was the book that he was going to do and then he didn't do. Uh, and then all of a sudden he ended up with Morbius. Um, it, I believe I'm 90% Cause remember they announced one yes. and then they canceled it under him. Yeah. It, and that's how he, they kind of gave him nine issues of Morbius to make up for it. I could be wrong. I want to say they, they, it was going to be Thanos. And maybe it was. I think I think they pulled Thanos for the Jason Aaron stuff or whatever, and to make it up for it, they like gave him like what a poison chalice. And I remember reading the first issue of that and being like, "Uh, no, maybe I made it two issues. I don't remember, but it's amazing how much the the first issue of the Vita Ayala stuff, while on the one hand being closer, this is the worst part. This is a character that I'm that I hate and I'm. I'm hate reading and I'm reading a thing where I'm like, well, at least her, at least her take on Morbius is semi-solid, you know, but the rest of it is kind of bad. Like it's in, and I know Graham, I'm sure you read it. Of course you did. But for well, the, the listeners the stuff? who didn't, yes, the Morbius, no, the no, Vida I no, issue. I, no, I, I, I very much. Why did. would you? Yes. Cause it's Morbius, the living vampire who I refer to on Twitter as the garbage fieriest of garbage fire characters. He is, that character is terrible. And I have to say, having read as much Morbius as I have, I'm like, yeah, he's just, I read, as you know, I read all of his black and white appearances in Vampire Tales. I say all of them in that I think there might be one or two issues that that Marvel has not collected in trade just because... I'm sure they'll get around to it, but um, because even they're too bad even for Marvel to collect. Yeah, well, no, but I mean that's it. Like, I 
it's as you know with marvel it's literally stuff where they had those two collections of i think it was just called marvel horror that was reprints of their black and white horror magazines yeah and i think the second volume sold so poorly that they did not um even bother to do with the third volume and or they didn't have enough material for a full trade because at that point it's just like maybe two issues of the black and white mags that they were reprinting at that point because a lot of it is like you know it's vampire tales what the fuck they were thinking like oh yeah people really have a strong fondness for the black and white they're like one day someone's going to make a morbius movie starring jared leto oh man uh then it's going to be postponed by like a year Mm -hmm. because of a pandemic but we want to have the stuff having gone into print and then out of print by that point oh yeah definitely. that's what they were thinking of course they were and let me tell you i'm already at that point of like i'm gonna be first in fucking line to hate watch that fucking movie because if there's only if there's one thing that i hate more than vampire What's that? Hmm? It's going to be on, like, Hulu. It's not going to get a theater. Oh, yeah, no. No, I mean, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, no, 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 exactly. I mean, it's, it's yeah, whatever whatever semi-streaming channel Sony has, like, a partial ownership in, it's going to pop up there. But, I mean, yeah, it, it basically, garbage fire character, garbage fire actor, you know, sort of seems like it can't miss, you know? Um, but get, let's get back to the garbage fire character part of it. Talk to me about why Adventures into Fear somehow, like, missed even your exceptionally low bar. (laughs) Oh, no, because I just said, like, you're talking about, like, I'll read anything Morbius, and you're somehow still disappointed. And I'm trying to think of a nice way of saying, if you know you're reading shit, how can you still be disappointed? Well, that is a good question. So, Like, if you're entering into it going, I'm going to hate read this. Right. Then surely it's it's a no-lose proposition. Because either it's good and you're happily surprised or it is shit and you're like, I knew it was going to be shit. Well, yes. And I knew it was going to be shit. But I I think what it is is there's a number of factors that are mitigating circumstances. For example, when I read the Vampire Tales, the black and white collected stuff in the trades, it was like Don McGregor was on it. You know? And I was like, oh, yeah, I like Don McGregor. And then, of course, I finish it up. I'm like, well, I... I thought I liked Don McGregor. You know, it was kind of like, I like most Don <laughs> McGregor. I like I, Don McGregor when he's writing Black Panther at the, the end. The, no, and Kill Raven, man. Don't don't make me break out a list. Do you want me to rank it from one to five? Because I can totally... Yes, I want you to think of three other Don McGregor runs that you like. Don McGregor, Black Panther, Jungle Action, heads up, beyond. Close sure. number two, I guess. It's because P. Like Craig Russell's on the art. Exactly. Yeah. Kill Raven, right? Number three, Don McGregor and um, uh, Billy. Uh, oh shit, why am I blocking on Graham? his name? Billy Graham. Billy Graham on Saber. Of course, Paul Galassi does the marvelous first issue trade, but then um, McGregor uh, it goes on to do an um, absurdly hippieish histrionic run for Eclipse Comics on Saber. Uh, number four, the four or five issues of uh, Luke Cage Power Man that he did, again with Billy Graham. Um, not great, but but pretty good. Uh, I know, of course, some people are going to be like, but Jeff, surely you've got to get Nathaniel Dusk a shout out. I will give Nathaniel Dusk a shout out ahead of Ragamuffins 
and that one I, issue I of Marvel, is it Marvel Spotlight or Marvel Premiere with Paladin that's written by Don McGregor? I think it's... I so wanted you to say, I'll give Don uh, Jessica a shout out, in hell. <laughs> <laughs> it's tempting. I got to say, I was really underwhelmed by Nathaniel Dusk, both miniseries. Um where the what's the other thing that I know that I'm forgetting? I think that you generally have the the sad part is I could go on it a while. You know, there was some other Don McGregor thing that I'm thinking of that he did. It's not his Warren work. Oh well. Anyway, Graham, that was just to show you how I, look, unhinged I I'm, am. Yeah. But, I, I'm gonna I'm yeah. gonna say I'm genuinely impressed that you did manage to have a top five of Don McGregor. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I I I, I was like, Oh, you're in trouble now, my friend. And I really oh, I, had that I moment feel... of like on the fly, I'm like, where am I gonna put that paladin issue? I have to be honest, I didn't like it, despite the fact that I liked Paladin, which is crazy. Who likes Paladin? You know, that character keeps coming back. Jan but... Van Dyne. She liked Paladin. Oh, yeah, they kind of dated for a bit. They dated they? for a while, yeah. Uh, welcome to Comic Book <laughs> Dish with Graham McMillan, where we talk about, in you know, fictional characters' romantic relationships as if they really happened. Uh, exactly. exactly. Do you know who we are glad that Jen is not hanging out with anymore? Henry Pym. Whatever happened to Henry? Oh, man, let me tell you. Actually, what did happen to him? Is he still like Ultron? He is, right? I don't know. I forgot the whole like. Did he become Ultron in that Rick Remember yeah. thing or whatever? Yeah, I think it was in the 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 Warren Ellis graphic novel. Oh, was that Ellis's graphic no, novel? No, it wasn't. It was Remender. It was, it was Remender's graphic Rage, novel. Yeah, oh, yeah. Rage of Ultron. <laughs> you don't remember that's what it's called. Rage of Ultron. <laughs> I just now got I, the joke. How bad is that? I'm like, yeah. Ah. They were like, we've announced Age of Ultron in the film, but we've already done Age of Ultron comics. It's nothing to do with the film. Has anyone got any ideas? And Rick Remender, a man, let's be honest, with no shame, said, "What about Rage of Ultron? We're just lucky that wasn't really successful." And then it would have been like, "Here's a sequel, Page of Ultron." No, no. Uh, he's, he's doing he's doing some cooking, Sage of Ultron. <laughs> Uh, Dude, he's throwing a big party, Rager of Ultron. That's oh, going to be see? awesome. Yeah, with Evan see? Dork and so art. Like, we added an R to the start, now we're adding an R to the end. Yep. Like, and it, then you it, just it, change it, and then it's Ager of Ultron, Anger Ager of, Ultron. of Ultron. Yeah. Ooh, Danger of Ultron. Right. Ooh, Ranger of Ultron. That's got to be... <laughs> ha! I got to uh, admit, it's kind Marvel of... Marvel Fallers. Yeah, exactly. We're available... <laughs> Graham I say that, furloughed. Like, you know, you look at Marvel's output and they're like, I'm sorry, we're too busy sh- cutting our line in half. Yeah, no and, kidding. Sorry, we're, we're getting off topic. Continue to tell me uh, about your disappointment in Morbius because so, right. I am still, I'm still genuinely like, how can you be disappointed in something that you expected to be bad? Okay. Because it's somehow worse or it's, it's, it's bad in a non-interesting way? So, uh, so here's the thing. I, you know that, you know, you, I mean, I know, I know that you must know the quote because I'm sure that you've spit on it a few times, Graham, but you know how Alan Moore said, like, there are no bad characters, only bad stories about characters. Yeah. So I want... And I'm sure other people said that before. <laughs> no, no, you're wrong, but that's fine. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Of course, someone said that. It's just he was the one who said it that people were like, ooh, in comics. You know what I mean? So, yeah. anyway, 
<laughs> I'm like, that backfired. I'm like, no, Graham, that was him. That He said it. No, funny. I'm, I'm like, I'm now looking to try to find <laughs> no, not because I'm like, he's fucking plagiarized, but because I'm like, surely someone else said it. I, I, Google is not helping me, so let's just say that it, it's 100% Alan Moore. Well, I'll tell you one of the reasons why it might be Alan Moore is there's not a lot of other people that talk about, well, anyway, it, it's a conversation for another on, story. Yeah, yeah, take on existing characters. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I want to believe that in my heart of hearts, and also I'm a person who shifted gears at a certain point, and instead of following characters you know a, a fan of characters i'm it became at a certain point a more a fan of creators yeah so sort of again like i'm like okay morbius uh, part of me is like no one's figured out a way to do a take on him but at some point they will and it'll be interesting or good the adventures into fear number 20 is by mike friedrich and paul galacy uh then steve gerber takes over and you know it's gerber writing for marvel in the 70s he does a great job i think with oddball characters and you know essentially as as, like fitting a a morbius writer as you can imagine right one would think then also i mean i will run down the list of, of of artists like Paul Galassi, not your jam, but my jam. Gil Kane, pretty much everyone's jam. P. Craig Russell, uh, oh, sorry, Rich Buckler, not your jam, my jam. P. Craig Russell, pretty much everyone's jam. Uh, yeah. who's the Who replaced P. Craig Russell? Uh, it starts getting dire after that point. Oh, right. It Yeah, I think it goes from P. Craig Russell to like... Um, uh, Oh, Frank Robbins. So, and that's that's. I mean, that's a, that's a switch, my friend. Yeah, no kidding. So there's a uh, so Gerber. I'm like, okay, so it's Gerber. He's going to be able to pull this off. Spoilers, he doesn't. The other thing that is weird about Morbius is uh, there's. I was thinking about this. There's a weird juice that Marvel Comics gets from its launching point by having stronger ties in a way almost to their monster books, which is to say Kirby does great stuff with the thing and the Hulk. And the uh, part of what the audience responds to is the anti-hero thing and the anti-hero stuff really grows Stanley, Roy Thomas, they're relatively aware that, you know, Marvel gets the chance to expand finally because they get out under this distribution project where they're limited by the number of titles because they're literally being distributed, as I recall, by National slash DC at that point due to a due to a deal publishing distribution deal that Martin Goodman had made way back when. So they finally get a chance to expand as much as they want. They're both aware that superheroes, that comics had basically been cyclical for the last 30, 40 years, and that the superhero boom is probably going to be over really shortly. Like the golden age really lasted a, a, a very short period of time. So they start pivoting to what's going to be big next. Their comics code has uh, loosened a lot of their restrictions and so they're like, we're going to get in and we're going to do the monster thing. And again, Marvel doing monsters and the supernatural 
makes sense for any number of reasons. And as you know, they've got this weird hybrid where it's sort of superhero monstery thing. So you've got Spider-Man teaming up with Frankenstein. You've got, you know, and in fact, Morbius and Man-Wolf are, you know... Are Spider-Man uh, characters. Spider-Man characters. They spin out of Spider-Man, no pun intended, you know, werewolf and vampire, but with, uh, with like a, a weirdo science tinge to it. So... Part of the problem with Morbius is he is a scientist who has inflicted vampirism on himself. He's managed to create it. He is the quote-unquote living vampire because he's got the afflictions of vampirism, but he um, is not technically a vampire at the same time. He gets a cool outfit and flies and looks butt ugly, but he has none of the traditional weaknesses of the vampire nor any of the real cool, what the hell, you know, basically Dracula's equivalent of X-ray vision, you know. Oh, yeah, no, no, he he is 100% like this, as if someone had maybe read a one-line description of Dracula and was like, okay, I, I can do a superhero based on that. Yeah, absolutely. And And if you look at the first three or four covers of Adventures Into Fear, it's got a prominent starburst in the corner that's like, in the terrifying tradition... Legally, of, not Dracula. <laughs> well, it's in the terrifying tradition of Dracula. But yeah, legally, I mean, I think Dracula at that point was open domain. They were doing a Dracula book, but I think that they were like... The whole idea was... I think it wouldn't surprise me if they were like, we're not really sure if we're going to be able to get away with doing vampires because the comics code had specifically forbidden them. So let's give ourselves the out or whatever. Anyway, the character spends most of his time basically pissing and moaning and has two modes. Well, three modes. Piss and moan. I guess those are, if you count those as two. And then bloodthirsty, I must be satiated, God help me, I hunger, you know, mode, which it, which it has him turning around, attacking people, drinking their blood, and then being like immediately switching back to piss and moan method. All he wants to do is cure himself, which is laudable, but he absolutely insists on having no help at all, which is not so laudable. So he is the... He takes the anti-hero and the where I walk, I walk alone and the Stan Lee feet of clay to a level that becomes repugnant. Now, there's some people, in other words, Morbius the Living Vampire in, and up to and including these issues in Adventure into Fear is pretty much exactly 100% the character that... DC thought that Marvel was publishing when they made fun of Marvel's for selling characters like that. Like, you know, they're not heroic. So Steve Gerber comes in again. He's worked with antiheroes before. He's in the 70s. He tries to set up a situation. So part of the problem is the first thing he does is he gets Morbius involved in... Basically, the first issue is him, is Morbius like caught in this strange there's like this young girl like who has supernatural powers who's being pursued by a demonic cult and he gets stuck in the middle of the battle the young girl can suddenly change herself into 20 years older into like a whip cracking barbarian woman that helps you know kick the ass of all these demon guys she is this figure caught 
between two larger forces as it unravels. She's being pursued by Damond, who is a, a, a black mage sorcerer. Um, and uh, these guys, God, I've already forgotten them because they're so boring. I think it's not the covenant, I don't know, the conspiracy. Maybe it's the conspiracy. Gerber does this thing of like, Damon is black magic and faith-based. The covenant or the conspiracy or whatever the shit they're called is a super science cult. And they're essentially at war with one another. And each of them keeps promising Morbius the possibility of, you know, side with me and I'll help you. Would Damon has the ability. In fact, what happens is Damon captures Morbius, sends him to go kill the rest of the Covenants. Um, and in part because Morbius, and this is the other thing that sort of could work in so many other contexts, but does not work in Spider-Man comics, is he has a beloved fiance, Martine, who was also his scientific assistant, who, you know... Once he has the affliction of vampirism, he he literally throws himself into the sea rather than, you know, than bite her with his bloodlust. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's a huge surprise and a little baffling that she ends up as essentially this evil sorcerer's second in command. And you're like, what's happening there? Is she by choice or has she been ensorcelled? I mean, spoilers, of course she's been ensorcelled. So Morbius is like, okay, I don't want to do this guy's bidding, but he's cast a spell on me and I have no willpower. Plus, you know, which seems like a rewrite of Gerber's original intention, which is that this sorcerer has the only woman that he cares about, you know. And the Covenant, who are these science-based dudes, are the dudes that are... um, Basically, like, you have a scientific affliction. We are essentially uh, a cheap knockoff slash predecessor of Kirby's Eternals, which is to say we are aliens who genetically engineered and created humanity on this planet. And we've done that throughout the races. We're back. We've seen that you've nearly destroyed the Earth because we didn't fix you guys enough. And so we're in the process of creating the children of the comet, this essentially genetically uh, engineered super race that will bring humanity into its golden age. Morbius is like, okay, do I side with the person who has literally the love of my life or do I side with the people who have my cure? And part of the thing that kind of sucks is, among other things, is that Gerber is doing a thing that perhaps in the 70s I wasn't crazy about, but has become, in my eyes, unbelievably loathsome the last 10 to 15 years in, in popular media and, unfortunately, the news, which is the, well, um, actually, both sides argument, you know. Gerber is not a fan of fanaticism, so it makes sense. But his whole thing, as it goes on, is is that Gerber, um, you know, is that essentially the cult of science fanaticists are no are better and equally as bad as a black magician in Gerber's eyes, which makes sense because he's like super science, super no, reason, no. right? Exactly, and I'm like, no, 
no, that's not true. And like I said, the both sides thing has been so deleterious on American culture that seeing Gerber use it as his hook um, is very much uh, it's it, it's not fun. It's not it's not quote unquote classic Gerber. Gerber to me works very well in his 70s stories where it is someone in opposition to a cult or even cults. But here Morbius is essentially a pawn who has to choose what's more valuable to him. The one thing that I think is actually very funny is the covenant is like, we want to cure you, but first we want your help in essentially destroying humanity. So essentially they're like, we want you to kill people. We want you to drink their blood and kill them because humanity's in bad shape. We need to call the numbers so that our genetically engineered race can take over. Then, as if that's not weird enough, um, Morbius ends up, I don't even know, he ends up being space warped to another planet of weird genetic monstrosities that is the planet that the Covenant had a, a, a previous civilization that, that the Covenant had created, which is a bunch of um, immortal genetic freaks who have who kidnap Morbius from the Covenant so that he can kill them. They only wish to die. So there's something to me half clever in the idea that Morbius, the living vampire, is basically wanted by all these sides for his vampirism, the one thing that he's trying to get rid of. And they're basically like, go kill crazy. Go kill, kill people as much as you want, please. In fact, by this issue, it's like, kill us. And yeah, exactly. Kill, just go, just do it. Who do you want to kill? It's right. yours. Yes. And because, again, this is kind of a 70s comic, like you get Morbius being pissing and moaning and like, no, I'm not going to, except when I will, but then I'm not, you know? Anyway, that story wraps up. Then Frank Robbins comes in for, I think, the final part of that, and everything just kind of goes to hell. Um, I mean, it, it sounds like it's kind of gone to hell before that, Jeff. Wait, true. Well, no, that's... I'm trying to think of a yeah. nice way of saying that, but it sounds terrible. Oh, it sounds bad. And then it gets worse because Gerber actually leaves the story before it wraps up. So Doug Moench Doug steps in, and Mench is working from his beats. It's Frank Robbins' art. So you go from Gerber and P. Craig Russell not working to mention Frank Robbins trying to hit a deadline under tight pressure. And it is, it's genuinely incoherent. And then you get Mench being like, okay, now it's time for me to start telling an awesome story. And it shifts. Anyway, all of which is to say, if you thought that stuff sounded like shit, Graham, which I'll be honest, it was, you'll be saddened to know it then more or less gets worse. I say more or less because they bring in Simon Stroud from the Manwolf comic, which I was like, shit, I've got to reread Manwolf because I do not remember this character. And I read <laughs> all those issues. Simon Stroud. I just, just got to keep track of him. Yeah, he's, I, I know, right? I mean, the sad part, Graham, is, is that between the conclusion of the whole Covenant, Damon's Undying One storyline and the beginning of the next storyline, the first page is 
talks about how Morbius and Martine are have you know are reunited essentially after the events of Giant Size Werewolf number four, and I'm like. So I read Giant Size Werewolf number four, which is a little bit better, I think, in part because I don't remember who does the art. Maybe it's Nestor Redondo. And I also like Werewolf by Night, let's face it. And some of the stuff's a little a little bit better, a little bit. Let's just say that you know things have gotten bad when the final issue collected, which is the penultimate issue, not the final issue, is A, written by Bill Matlow, who, of course, came in and finished up the storyline that Doug Mensch split on before bothering to finish, uh, which, as did Frank Robbins, which has Morbius fighting a supernatural villain called Hell Eyes, or maybe... Hell Eyes. Hell Eyes, or maybe Helly Yes. I'm not sure. It's all one word. Oh my god, I want a Helly Yes. <laughs> it's obviously Hell Eyes, but I want it to be Hell Yes. Helly Yes uh, is this horrible... It's basically this giant supernatural gumdrop with, like, millions of eyes. I'm sorry, a, a gumdrop in the shape of a man with millions of eyes. And in theory, each one promises a different hell until you can defeat it by plunging yourself into the true eye and escaping the thousand hells of hell eyes. And Graham, you'll be very excited to know that Bill Mantlo figures out that the secret is Morbius looks into all these thousands of eyes and it's the one where he sees his own reflection. Yes, his eye that he plunges into and is able to conquer hell eyes forever. Dot, okay. Dot, dot. Bill Mantlo is a fucking genius. <laughs> Honestly, I was like, oh. I have not. I, I, I'm, I'm being sarcastic, but I'm also not because at least that sounds entertaining in a way that these other stories you're describing, 100% do not. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, honestly, I could describe some of the Doug Mensch stuff, and you'd be like, "Oh, that sounds entertaining." It really isn't, even with Simon Stroud, Kraken Wise, and all this sort of stuff. Anyway, Mantlo, George Evans, what's great? I really got to give it up to the people in Marvel Unlimited. Uh, cause for whatever reason, the people who put together the collections in the omnibus occasionally, but not always throw in the letters issues, letters pages. And the next to last, this issue 30, the letters page is clearly, it starts off with a box that is like, Morbius has two issues to live. If you want to continue reading the adventures of Morbius the Living Vampire, we've got to see an upswing in sales or he will not live past another two issues. And knowing that they're writing that and it only makes it one issue makes it all the sweeter. And even better, they run an issue, they run a letter from a reader, only one, and they surround it with lots of, you know clever faux stanley gabity goo but you're like they got one letter for this issue (laughs) dude they only got two he actually confess they're like please you have to write in and let us know what you want to see in this title this was only one of two letters that we got and i'm like oh bill mantlow you should not be so candid but kind of great kind of great so yeah so Next week on Marvel Unlimited, the dramatic conclusion, by which I mean the sad, the final sad, wet fart of the sad, I, wet fart that is Adventure into Fear. I will say this. You have noticed that Marvel has just been uploading this in batches of five, right? 
like they're not they're not doing it they're like they're not trying to cut off the end of a storyline they just don't care what stories in there no, they're doing totally. issues five, five issues, issues at a time no ten. i know that yeah, yeah absolutely okay. and that's fair because god knows to know otherwise would entail reading those issues which i really don't can't really recommend obviously but i mean like I really, there was a weird point as I got to like issue 23 or 24 where I was like, wow, I'm still going to keep reading these. And it was that thing of like, because I hate this character. I hate this. No one can save this character. Okay, this character so, okay, is terrible. so that's what I was going to ask. How do you feel about Morbius? Like, why why Morbius? Why is this the the character that has you, I mean, just weirdly going through stuff where you haven't enjoyed any of these stories <laughs> you know i'll tell but, you but somehow you're like drawn to it I, well part of it is that it's kind of like and I say that as someone who went through countdown to final crisis sure but but did that knowing like i haven't already read it but also knowing that it's terrible and wanting to read it for the car crash well, I mean, it, it's one part you're gambling that it's a car crash. There's there's the other part that you're kind of, you know me. I mean, Marvel 70s is my jam. It's the only Marvel 70s stuff that it was up there semi-recently. I mean, I could, you don't have to dig too far to find other stuff in Marvel Unlimited. But the other thing is, is this: these are books that are from my quote-unquote golden age of Marvel and they were not books that I was reading. So I don't have yeah. much experience with them. And part of it was I just, I didn't, I didn't like them. And uh, like as a kid, I'm like, I don't, I just don't. Ugh. And then revisiting it. What I have found is there's a lot of Marvel characters from the seventies that I thought were for lack of a better term, particularly in the supernatural stuff, kind of turkeys, you know, and they're not, I love them. Like, you can tell a good... Like, Brother Voodoo's pretty fucking interesting. Son of Satan, pretty goddamn interesting. Like, sometimes the potential's not there, you know, but you can see the potential as a reader that they kind of don't get to. Or sometimes they get to it, deliver it, and you're like, oh, holy shit, that was... Fuck, I didn't know that you could do that with that character. I have some respect. Um, Morbius is one of those, is for me such a, it's, he's almost the exception that proves the rule. And the rule being that Jeff pretty much likes most of Marvel 70s characters. Like, you throw one out at me, and most part I'm like, sure. Hero, villain, you know, supporting character, I'm, I'm, I'm down for it. I'm like the guy who's like, hey, Skull the Slayer and Devil Slayer and Dollar Bill is a supporting I, I character remember. from the Avengers. Yeah, exactly. You know, whoever Luke Cage's, um, you know, film loving buddy was in the early issues of Hero for Hire, whose name's escaping me at the moment. You know, all the Johnny, Johnny plays the Ghost Rider. So part of me is like, well, surely Morbius is I just haven't had the right experience with him. And I think that's the thing that stuns me. There's no way to have a right experience with this character. He is trash. And a lot of it is, is he is trash in a way that I could almost see him working in a more modern context, which is more or less at the point that he cannot work because he's a pig-headed albino in a skin-tight disco suit. You know, like Vita Ayala did a lot of great stuff, but 
she a she's still having him fight the melter, which is probably a huge mistake. But I'm like, how how how? <laughs> I would have to say that out of the characters that are almost as bad as Morbius in terms of being a garbage fire, there is the melter. Also, there's First of all, like, I love the melter, but secondly, how how like why the melter? Well, that was my question upon reading the issue. Why the Melter? The Melter, to me, makes sense when you have either a character who is in an iron suit, you know. Sure. Or you are fighting him in, like, say, I don't know, a big uh, steel foundry or something like that. But if you're in, if you, if it's Morbius the Living Vampire and the Melter... And they're in a warehouse, and what happens is the Melter shoots Morbius with a gun, with his melting gun, dead on in his chest, and Morbius falls over and goes, oof, and then stands back up and attacks him. I'm like, something went very wrong. You know what I mean? I'm like, no, why isn't Morbius melted? He's the Melter! And in fact, at one point, the Melter gets pissed off at his henchmen and turns around and melts them. And I'm like... First off, the Melter really probably couldn't afford to have henchmen. He's the fucking Melter. He's barely a step above henchmen himself. And two, it's just, you know what I mean? It's one of those things. And believe me, not Vita Ayala's fault. Because I have not talked about the huge failure, personal failure, that I think is... Oh shit, did I copy? Oh, Adventure Comics Volume 3, Leviathan Hunt which I read via the miracles of Hoopla to um, greater degrees of ire, you know? Adventure comics. Oh, action comics. Sorry, action comics. Action comics, volume three, Leviathan Hunt. Yeah, sorry. All the adventure and fear on my uh, reading list threw me off. Wherein you have Superman fighting the Red Cloud, who I have no idea what she can do, who then gets a super-powered Gear of the Villain upgrade from Lex Luthor, and I still don't know what she can do, but she can apparently do more of it, you know? And it's it's very... It's, it is very it is a very common problem, I feel, in comics, which is kind of like, oh, back in the day, there was a little bit of the, here's a superhero fight, this guy's got the proportional strength of a spider... This guy is named uh, after a rhino. Who's going to win? Yes, we're going to explain what they can do. Here's a fight for you. And now it's just kind of like, ugh, I don't, I don't know, Graham. There's a lot of laziness in that Brian Bendis comic that that really um, bums me out because of how much I like the character interactions in the book and find that, ugh. Oof, uh, I just shouldn't have done it to myself. I was kind of hoping that it would move into the, because I want to read the Superman, the truth issues that you have spoken well of when they get collected. And well, first of all, they're not in, they're not in action comics. So there's that. that uh, Graham, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that extra dose of pedanticism to, to like lance my soul. But yes, I know they're not because I just read. Oh, no, no. I, 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 I was worried that you were actually genuinely trying, like going, well, at least Nets collection, it's going to be this. And I was like, it's not. Well, thank you. Cause the fact of the matter is I'll be honest. I did think that until I remembered. So 
<laughs> so, so you were right to warn me, and I was wrong to get upset at you for warning me. So, uh, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. But that's probably the least of uh, Bendis's sins. Writing two Superman comics and me getting confused. I, I'm annoyed because I'm like, oh, okay, so now Jeff's going to come off like the crazy old guy. Okay, that's fine. That's fine, Graham. Did you like Action Comics Volume 3, Leviathan Hunt, or the issues therein? Uh, uh, you say that like I can genuinely remember what that is, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's sweet that you, you think that. But I, <laughs> Action Comics uh, 1012 no, that, through 1016? The ones I'm thinking, because I read them in single issues, remember, so I'm, yes. I'm like, I'm kind of guessing. Um, I, like you, like the character interactions a bunch. Yeah. And Action Comics is was... Wait, because it it's the prelude to the Leviathan issues, right? It seems to be taking place at the same time as the Leviathan issues, if that helps. It's Leviathan tries to recruit Ro the Th Rose in the Thorn. So Rose in the Thorn pops up for like two or three issues. Then Naomi comes in and then Red Cloud, Shit, which has gotten a power up. Comics. Yeah, Red Cloud, which has a power up, is sort of beating the crap out of Superman until Naomi shows up and helps him. And then she you know, as she's been doing for the last 16 issues, just fucks off somewhere. And then the, the rest of it is like uh, Superman and Batman in Portland, you know, talking about how awesome Naomi is. So, yeah, you've read those. But A, not only can I not blame you for um, forgetting. Really. Yeah, but but it is it's a weird like Leviathan seems like it is happening during this event. Uh, I mean, the, the Leviathan, you know, uh, the Leviathan event is happening during Hunt for Leviathan. And at the end of it is the, you know, is, uh, what's her name? Lenore or whatever, uh, is like, okay, well, the, it's time for the invisible mafia to become visible. You know, I'm like, wait, why would you, what? Like, it's a one page sequence that does not read very well. Um, you know, where Bendis is sometimes like, oh, if I flub that, I can, I can kind of, Corrected on the fly, you know, but it's there's literally five issues of every at this point because it ends at issue 10 16, 15 issues of everyone being how smart the invisible mafia is to be a mafia that is invisible to Superman. And at the end of it, she's like, Well, it's time for us to come out of hiding because basically because Lex Luthor knew about us and Leviathan knew about us and every hand is turned against us. So it's time to show them what we can do, which is supposed to sound cool. And I'm like, your only coolness was basically in being uh, anyway. So you know what I'm talking <laughs> about, Graham. I'm talking I, I about comics. That's just it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, uh, did I like them? And I can't really remember them. I think it's fair to say that I didn't. If okay. that makes sense. Sure, sure. You or know, you liked them enough, thing... but they didn't stick, right? I mean, that's fair. That's not a horrible thing. I mean, sure. Let's go with that. Mm -hmm. I mean... But but I feel like I really do feel like that's a stretch. I definitely remember the I enjoyed the Naomi stuff. Mm -hmm. And as much as I enjoyed the Leviathan miniseries, and I did, and I think I'm one of the few people who actually did enjoy the Leviathan miniseries, mm -hmm. I seem to remember thinking that the Action Comics issues were just like filler yeah oh they're very yeah they're very much so it's like leviathan shows up and i think that's kind of the thing like maybe 
it's such a, it's such a, I don't know if it's a Bendis truism or it's a little bit of Bendis bringing that, you know how Marvel Comics during the, what seemed like 10 years where there was just constantly an event going on. Yes. Constant event storylines. Yeah. Yeah. And And they never, they never finished. It was like this leads on to this story, leads on to this story, leads on to this story. Exactly. And that's kind of what is happening here with Bendis. Like he's got Leviathan. Then he brings in Rose in the Thorn. Rose in the Thorn is trying to be recruited by Leviathan. She tells him to go fuck off. She gives the story to the daily planet. The daily planet does a thing, which has a, like is literally the red cloud, you know, in her secret identity, pitching the story to Perry white. And then, you know, where she's interviewing Rose in the thorn and then Leviathan pops up and then doesn't, and then they piss off, but they don't. It's just characters dropping in and out of the book. And by the end of it, I'm literally like, is Leviathan wrapped up? Uh, The other thing that's weird is um, Naomi, as I recall, and God help me, this is why I don't fault you for not remembering this, is I think I read these maybe four days ago and did a super quick read through to make sure I had the gist of what story happens when so we could talk about it, is Naomi comes to... uh, Superman right out of the events of her miniseries where she's gotten powers and her whole thing is, is like, I come from another planet that was completely destroyed and my parents sacrificed their life, you know, and, and Superman, yeah. yeah. And Superman's like, Hey, cool story, bro. Me too. Ostensibly. The thing is, is she is recruiting Superman so that she can go back to that planet and take care of the problem. And then, they just drop that like Superman brings her to the Hall of Justice. There's a Wonder Twins cameo. Batman shows up to be Batman. Then Superman goes off, gets his ass beat by Red Cloud. Naomi and Batman show up to save him. Red Cloud fucks off. And then essentially um, they fly Naomi back to her parents. And they're like, she's going to be an awesome hero. And I'm like, what about saving her alternate planet? Like, and it was this weird... It's kind of what if it makes Trail Banner, she forgets because she ends up in in Young Justice. It it doesn't surprise me. I mean, because it makes sense in the in the fact that Bendis has he has these through lines, but he's he. I just think he's an incredibly lazy writer. Um, one of the things that really sealed the deal for me is at the end of Leviathan Hunt, they have the first seven pages eight pages of script of his script that he said and uh for for issue 1060 for the final issue and it was interesting reading it because i know that bendis is you know grammatically challenged and i know that he's not the world's best speller and one could say that he is either dyslexic or illiterate or both. But reading it, I was so amazed at how his, A, his panel descriptions, he literally will cut and paste things that he needs to tell the artist from one page to the next. Like, it's just like so-and-so, which is going to be important because of so-and-so's special effect, which was really created by so-and-so. Like, cut, paste, cut, paste, cut, paste. I'm like... You were cutting and pasting from your own script. Like, you know what I mean? Or else it's that kind of thing of like, maybe he built a macro for it. 
But there's also a description where he's talking about if he has two characters in a panel, he will describe both of them as he and him. And then when he gets to the end of the sentence, he mentions him again, but it's not, you realize that it's got to be. It's not clear which him. Yeah, exactly. You can only figure it out through the careful context of it would make no sense for Batman to be grilling a hamburger with his heat vision kind of thing. But the way that it's written, you're like, uh, he does that thing like, you know, and everyone's got their own way of doing things. But the whole idea that, you know, you're never supposed to present more than one action in a comic book panel by one person, if you know what I'm saying. Like you can't mm-hmm. have them unless you're doing like a colon-esque photo overlay type thing. So he will do things where he's describing how the characters are interacting and reacting to one another. And I'm like, there's no way you can show that. Like you're doing a, you're describing a film shot, two shot thing. You know what I mean? And part of me is like, okay, I, you know, I'm just kind of like, you've been working in comics for decades. You're a comics artist. You literally have written books on how to write for comics. And I'm reading scripts by you where you are literally making your artist's life harder. And on the one hand, he'll do stuff like, hey, you're going to love me. This open page is just clouds and hands and clouds and hands. Please remember that you love me because the next shot is Metropolis, the entire city, and it's going to be bustling and we want to be able to see all this stuff and here's why. And he's got good reasons for his his whys. Like he's put thought into how to present Superman, how people uh, react to Superman, a lot of nailing down the quote-unquote acting, which is not surprising Mm -hmm. with Bendis. But at the same time, I'm also like, this script is not tight. Like, do you remember, God, who was it? I swear to God, it was someone like Stuart Eamonen, but I can't remember who he was complaining about. He wasn't complaining. He was just saying, like, part of the artist's job is you've got to figure out which people are in the panel because the writer isn't describing it yet clearly. And I'm like, that was a flag because it was a relative. If it wasn't Bendis, it was Fraction. I think it really was Bendis, but I'm trying to think what, what did he and him, what did he and Eminem do together? Oh, they did a Avengers for a long time. Oh, maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. If it's not that or fear itself, but, but I was kind of like, wow, this is, um, it was just sloppy work, you know? And part of me is like, okay, sure. Like, he's just running. He's just... He's he's a comic book writer. He's writing multiple books a month. He's got a... But, like, reading it, I was just like... Again, with that collection. So, like I said, Graham, I feel like it's been a very rough week between Brian Bendis and Morbius the Living Vampire. And if you're going to say that I'm about to pitch Bendis the Living Vampire, you're absolutely right. No, you're, you're... That's what I want. I want Bendis the Living Vampire right now, my friend. <laughs> I'm, I'm in. Give it, me Bendis the Living Vampire. Exactly. Uh, I have to say, we have to save time for my musical number. But Wait, what? I, 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 I've actually literally just said the name of the podcast, which is, is like... <laughs> No, we, that's that's the terrible. synergy. The synergy was great because it didn't sound do, do synergy when it's like us. I, I don't think you can do synergy with yourself. Yeah, I guess that's probably true. Yeah, I I do however. Wow, um, we're growing our brand awareness with one another. 
Well, what's funny is you mentioned the uh, like the the Lex Luthor making his offer thing. Yes. Uh, so I'm not quite sure this is why this is true, Jeff. But this week and last week, I instead of reading lots of different types of comics, have read lots of the same comics. Mm. For a better way of putting it, two weeks ago, I just read a lot of Iron Man comics. A wow. lot of Iron Man. Hmm. As evidenced by the fact that this week the way was Tumblr was all Iron Man, mm. right? Um, and then this week I read all of Scott Snyder's Justice League mm. uh, and Justice League Dark and Justice League Odyssey. Oh, interesting! I started reading Justice League Dark. I'm like, the first trade was on Hoopla, so I can all, I, all the first three trades are on Hoopla. Oh, sorry. Yes, I should say I read the first trade on Hoopla because it was on Hoopla. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, yeah, and it's, uh, I've talked before about the fact that, uh, even ju- the first uh, arc of Justice League, mm-hmm. uh, but especially Metal, mm-hmm. reads better collected than mm-hmm. read serialized. Mm-hmm. And that turns out to be true of all of Snyder's Justice League. Mm. Uh, Snyder's Justice League uh, read, I thought, very choppily. Mm. Um, serialized and to the point where and the reason I, I did this is death metal's coming up mm-hmm. and I, like i remember how snyder's justice league ended but i also don't remember how snyder's justice league ended mm-hmm. like i remember the last issue mm-hmm. but honestly i don't quite remember how we got there mm-hmm. you know and I, I don't know how much of it you read jeff uh almost none Almost none. I should revisit it. Justice League Dark, I was reading because some people on Twitter had said how much they liked the portrayal of Wonder Woman in the book. And I was like, and I remember you saying good things about it. And I was like, eh, why not? I should give it a go. But the Justice League, Snyder's Justice League, I think I might have made it as far as issue eight or nine tops. And it might have been sooner than that. And then I came back and read issue nine or something for some reason. Um. It's uh, so the end. The end is spoilers. Mm-hmm. I say spoilers. It came like the last issue came out in January. Um, the Justice League lose, mm-hmm. and Perpetua, and even that requires some some explanation. But Perpetua oh, yeah. wins, mm-hmm. and Justice the Justice League loses, and the war, humanity as a whole decides to uh, in the choice between selflessness and selfishness. Mm-hmm. They they as a whole decide to be selfish. Hmm. Uh, and Perpetua thinks she's killed the Justice League, and the la- the end of the issue is she's not the the I think they're called the Quintessence. It's it's like the Illuminati, but it's it's cosmic characters. So it's High Father and uh, the Phantom Stranger and one of the the Guardians of the Universe, and you know that level Shazam's right. in there. Mm-hmm. Um, They've saved the Justice League, and they're like, you can do this thing, but if you do this thing, you have to go through this mystery door. Mm-hmm. And when you go through the mystery door, that's the only th- way you'll get to, to change the event. And they're like, we're going through the fucking mystery door, and they run through the door, and that's the end. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't see what's through the door, you see nothing. Right. Um, and I remembered all of that. And I was like, I literally don't remember anything leading up to that like i remember there's something arrives on earth called the totality and they like that's to do with lex luther and lex luther is trying to free perpetua right. and like the big shape but i was literally like the last, second half of that run i don't remember at all mm-hmm. like at all so i'm gonna fucking read it mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm gonna read it and see you know a what happened but b 
if it does read better together. Mm-hmm. It does read better together. Mm-hmm. But I also realize that one of the problems with Snyder's superhero work, mm-hmm. and I think this is actually true of his Batman as well, is he has lots of great ideas and he cannot fucking get out of the way of, of himself to tell them. Mm. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of great ideas in his Justice League run. Mm-hmm. And in almost every single case, the execution is flawed. Mm. Um, and it's a shame. Like, he does big, grand ideas mm-hmm. uh, in Justice League that are simultaneously a retread of what Morrison was doing and further than Morrison was doing. Mm-hmm. Right? So the end of Morrison's run on JLA is everyone on Earth becomes a superhero. Yeah. Because they're fighting against Mageddon, and Mageddon is making everyone's worst impulses amplified. Mm-hmm. Right? So Snyder goes, no, there's Perpetua. Perpetua is the mother of universes. Mm-hmm. She is the entity that creates, that created the multiverse, and has created multiple multiverses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for some reason, she got stuck in this one. By like, stuck, I mean like she focused on this one and she was like, oh, I'm going to create the ultimate multiverse. And it's going to be the ultimate way because it's going to be selfish like I am selfish. Mm-hmm. Quite why Perpetua's alt is like has to be selfish is never explained. Mm-hmm. But anyway, like she's going to be se- – it's going to be, they're going to be selfish like me and they're going to be a combination of Martian and human DNA. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be warriors for selfishness and then we're going to attack all the different multiverses and we're going to take over. Right? Mm-hmm. And they then uh, he then goes on to like over the course of thirty issues, like a lot of backstory that is literally revealed piecemeal, which is again one of the problems. Mm-hmm. If you don't read one, you're like I've lost track of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, Perpetua is trapped behind the source wall. Mm-hmm. That source wall is there for. Mm-hmm. I see. The source wall gets destroyed at the end of Metal. It gets completely destroyed midway through the Justice League run. Right. Um, the Omega Titans from the, the No Justice miniseries that came before Snyder's thing mm-hmm. are four characters who were supposed to cr- fix the source wall, mm-hmm. but the Justice League didn't understand and thought they were bad guys. Right. Right? A recurring theme of Snyder's run is the Justice League keep doing what they think is right and is wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, keep getting in the way of, for all intents and purposes, the universe trying to heal itself, mm-hmm. which you does multiple times and Justice League are like, ah, no. We will support the status quo, and it, it's always the wrong thing hmm. every single time, which is an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, Snyder bringing in the idea of uh, the totality is part of the source wall that lands on Earth, but it breaks time in doing so, mm-hmm. and it goes backwards and forwards in time. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's the thing that gives Spandle Savage his power. Mm-hmm. Uh, it lands in Commandy's time. Mm-hmm. And, and it's partially responsible for the great disaster. It lands in the DC one million timeline. Mm-hmm. It lands in Justice Society's timeline. So you get adventures with all of them. Mm-hmm. That's a great. That's a nice way of tying all those things together. Right. Um, Starman, the 1980s Starman, the Roger Stern Starman. Mm-hmm. It's also powered by the totality, mm-hmm. but everyone's forgotten about him because Lex Luthor basically kidnaps him through time. Mm-hmm. Another nice idea and another yeah. way to bring the back to the line. Uh, Jaro, a piece of Jaro is regrown in a uh, Starro is regrown in a jar and called Jaro. Yes, Jaro. And starts to hero worship Batman and calls him dad. 
I love that. I that, genuinely that is love the it. best part. Some of the panels of that were like my right. It's, yeah. it's really charming. Yeah. So there's all this really nice stuff. Perpetua is an interesting idea. The idea that Perpetua is the mother of the monitor, the anti-monitor, and this other character called the World Bringer, I think, mm-hmm. uh, is an interesting idea. The idea that those three characters then turn against her and they're the ones that trap her in the source wall mm-hmm. is an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. Everything is done in such a way that you almost have to fight against the comic to get to these ideas. Mm-hmm. Right? And right. you're just like, it should, like, for all that these comics are dumb superhero comics, and they are. Mm-hmm. Like, Snyder is trying his damnedest to be like, superhero comics should be stupid. Right. In a good way, in in the right way, mm-hmm. you know, but he can't get out of his way. Mm-hmm. So he's like, you know, here's a great thing where they go to the sixth, uh, never mind the fifth dimension, which is Mixopithelic. It's the sixth dimension, which is imagination. Mm-hmm. And they're going to meet a, the perfect idealized Justice League, mm-hmm. but they're actually basically from a bad timeline. Mm-hmm. And they're going to realize that things aren't what they seem and they're going to have to fight against their idealized their selves. Mm-hmm. Again. A great, fun, dumb idea, right? Mm-hmm. But it's it's far too long, and the explanation is is so bad that you're well, not bad, like so complicated, right? That you're like, why couldn't you just say it like you know these are they seem like good guys, but they're actually bad guys, <laughs> you know? Right. And get get to the chorus faster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny because you get to you realize quite how much DC fucked up Year of the Villain when you read these. Mm. Through many things, not least of which calling it Year of the Villain was the worst idea. Because mm. mm-hmm. honestly, it lasts like six months at max. <laughs> right? When you call right. it Year of the Villain, you think it's a year. Right. You would and think. if you're not into that idea, it turns you off to all of DC's line for a year. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But it's six months long. And even then, it's six months in Justice League. It's really just like three or four months in the other books. Wow. Right? And, you know, on, uh, there's so many ways. It's like, you're the villain makes no sense as well because, like, Lex calls it that in the comic because he has to. They're selling it as the title of the thing. Right. But it doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. like, on any level. Because it's Lex Luthor offering villains extra superpowers, basically. Yes. Does that make it the year of the villain? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And and, and so it's it, you really do just end up in this weird space where you're like, there's a good comic in here somewhere. <laughs> but it's hidden. Huh. It is hidden. Right. Uh, yeah, so it was a rewarding and frustrating read in equal measure. Hmm. Unlike Just League Dark, which honestly I like a lot more on reread. How did you feel about it? Well, I'm, I, I have one issue to go. I was, I run very hot and cold on it. Um, I sort of, in a way, I kind of got, at a certain point, I kind of bought in, which is amazing because it, the first Justice League trade does something that I find absolutely I'm I'm agog. As you may remember, the first three issues of the storyline very much is uh, it's Tyrion, right? Or is it Tinian? Yeah, it's Tinian. Yeah, Tinian. Tinian. James. Yeah, sorry, James Tinian. I always go with the Captain Kirk thing, but it's not right. Yes. Okay. T Y N I O N. Thank you. So Tinian, 
does is very much working from the Scott Snyder template, which is, you know, magic is falling apart. Everything's horrible. And there is essentially the big, bad horribleness, which is the source of all chaos and magic is coming back. And as they keep trying to figure out a way to fight this, you know, the source of all magic, essentially Wonder Woman busts out the powers of Hecate, um, which has, she's had her brand under the, underneath the tiara Mm -hmm. and expresses these superpowers. And they're like, holy shit, you know, um, you know, she manages to dispel the upside down man. And then, and then they're like, okay, we've got to go pursue him. And then in a thing that I find astounding, that's the first three issues of justice league dark. And then they skip over issue four, and goes straight to issue five because issue four is it's a crossover, right? Is the Justice League Dark Wonder Woman? I think the hunt issue and uh, the Witching Hour, the Witching Hour, right? Which makes sense because it's this whole thing about they set up all this stuff. There's a flashback of Diana on Amazon Island as a brave princess who stumbles across this dark magical rite, which sets up the stuff for Hecata. So there's all this stuff that's baked into the character, and then they skip over it and they start the next storyline which is you know detective chimp who has inherited the sword of nightmaster and his realm and mm-hmm. blue devils pissed at him and the art just is beautiful and gets gorgeous but part of me was like wait you're not giving me the conclusion of the story in this trade paperback are you shitting me like they have like a one page previously on you know that summarizes the events but i'm like mm-hmm. i don't care about that that's kind of like part of me is like well i'm reading a library book i could probably just go hunt up this other thing somewhere yeah you can it's it's also on hoopla and i should uh and will then but at the same time i'm like what as time went on i ended up a enjoying it more in part because the art is gorgeous and gets just more and more assured um, Tinian, like Snyder, has a good sense of like, oh, I want to write big. He he figures out ways to write big beats, I suppose. He uh, he has, uh, uh, unsurprisingly, as a guy mentored by Snyder, picked up some of Snyder's ticks in ways that I find sort of annoying. And the first three issues, I also found myself being like, uh, just me being a grouchy old man, where I'm like, Tinian's work in the first three issues of Justice League Dark seemed somehow yoked to a kind of, it was just, I was kind of like, oh, this is kind of somebody whose dream was like reading like Neil Gaiman, you know, at a young age as Gaiman's early superhero work and being like, God, I wish he'd done that instead of going on to do Sandman. You know, it's now I you've you only read first right, so you've not read the part where Constantine shows up, right? No, Constantine shows up really early, and in fact, he and Swamp Thing are doing a lot of blabbity blab. But uh, okay, I uh, sorry. Oh, I when I say, no, I, it's just there. Something happens later, like uh-huh. in the next volume, uh-huh. in volume two, mm-hmm. that is like the thing that everyone worried about. Mm-hmm. When Constantine started showing up in, in the DCU. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But also something that I think very clearly makes it, like, makes it kind of clear that that Constantine isn't 
the hell isn't the vertical Constantine? Mm-hmm. And yeah. and like is it, and you know other Sandman universe Constantine or, or whatever you want to call him, right? Like is a different character. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's one moment that is. Do you remember Constantine showing up in uh, Morrison's Doom Patrol in the fake Kirby Lee issue? Yes. Yes. Which is hilarious. There's a moment. There's a moment that's reminiscent of that. Oh my and, god! Know, I, may, I may be the only person who thinks that. I should say because it's not like <laughs> it's not like a Dick Van Dyke thing. Right. Right. Um. Okay. Oh, I'm just gonna say it. Go ahead. Someone names him Hellblazer. <laughs> he shows up in the flashback, and someone's like, "He's a right Hellblazer." This one. Oh no! Yes. Yes. Ah. Uh... Aye, aye, uh, and aye. It's, it's kind of like, oh, oh no. But then they do other things. I mean, you know, spoiler, spoilers. If you keep reading, you're going to basically see like the the, the DC Universe version of like Constantine's origin story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're reading the Delano issues and he kept on referring to Newcastle. Yeah, right. You're going to basically see the DC Universe version of that at one point. Mm. Mm-hmm. Which is when it's very clear that, like, you know, this is a different version of Constantine. Right, this is a different version, which makes sense. It, again, well, of course. Yeah, and it kind yeah. of, like, and once you accept that, it's fine, you know? Well, But, it, like, that well, from, that happens after, you know, he's shown up and someone's like, he's a right hellblazer, this one. And it's like, oh, no. Oh, no. Well, yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of, like, Tinian's work is, like, because the first two or three issues, particularly because you've got Zatanna and Constantine and you've got, uh, swamp thing and so and everything's sort of skewing towards being told through Zatanna's point of view about magic so it's all very heavily skewed to the Alan Moore run there's a lot of stuff that's in there that's like they've read it they're aware of it you know there's the, the very clever thing of swamp thing even looks weirdly like Alan Moore because he's got the yes you know, they've given him like a weird beard yeah the weird beard and long hair which is really on the one hand kind of funny but it also there wasn't and, a lot and it's intentional as well yes like, i seem to remember seeing the design notes and they were like okay he's alan moore right which is funny and and uh but also kind of i don't know i there was just parts where um uh, there, there's just a snap to it's it there's a snap to there's like a Lego model quality to Tinian's work where I'm like, I like it, but it feels like the Lego block version of something more complicated. And in weird ways, it can almost be more fun because he's able to snap together a lot of pieces and do a lot of um, uh, like juxtapositions without necessarily keeping everything um, everything fits, but everything fits because it's more or less all done in this very simple snap together brick way. Does that make sense, or does that just sound like no, 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 shittiness? no? I, I, to- I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It's funny because you, you know you're talking about he's sort of writing in Snyder's Shadow and yada yada. Yeah, he basically co-writes Snyder's Justice League run. I right. Right. Like, not only co-writes in the sense of, like, he and Snyder work together, there's issues and arcs that he runs right solo. Yeah, right, right. Because they're... You know, because they they're that clearly, like, it. closely collaborating. Right. And and in theory, Justice League Dark ties in with Snyder's Justice League. Right. I I kind of... I'm not sure how that works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, Justice League Odyssey ties in simultaneously much closer and much further away. Mm-hmm. 
like uh, Just League Odyssey is is literally like across the universe. Mm-hmm. But the events there are ref- reflect and are reflected in what Snyder's doing in mm-hmm. Justice League. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, Just Like Odyssey is a much weirder book, actually. Mm-hmm. For all Justice League Dark is is like the you know dark and the magic book. Justice League Dark for me is Jeff Johns's JSA. Mm. It feels a very traditional superhero dynamic team right. book. Right. And th- there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Tinian did the same in Detective Comics, and it works for me. Right. Right. He does a very, like, you know, I grew up reading Claremont's X-Men type shit. Right. Um, you know, and, and, that, and that appeals to me, honestly. Mm-hmm. But but it's John's JSA because it's full of characters from other things mm-hmm. who are now, like, wisecracking off each other. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so you get Blue Devil, Detective Chimp, Man Bat, Satana, mm-hmm. Swamp Thing, you know, and they're all like going, oh, we have this deadly mission, which is deadly. Right. But at the same time, they're like, but let's remember, he's here's Tracy 13. Yes. And you're like, fucking Tracy, that's a deep, you know, that's a right. deep cut. Yeah. Who fucking yeah. remembers Tracy 13? And they're like, but you, you think she's a deep cut? What about so-and-so? And right. you're like, fuck. You know, at one point, the, the second arc um, – features heroes who have basically been turned bad mm-hmm. right and as madame xanadu sure mm-hmm. why not uh i can't remember who the second one is and the third one is fucking extrano wow right mm-hmm. and that's when on one hand like steve orlando's been sort of cameoing him a, bu- a bunch mm-hmm. but let's be honest Estrano's fucking obscure right yeah you know yeah. Uh, and and so it like I read through it and I'm enjoying it. I really am, but it's it's it feels like a superior traditional book to me. And Odyssey is much weirder because not only because like Josh Williamson leaves after the first arc, mm. hmm. uh, and Dan Abnett takes over, hmm. and Abnett really quickly is like fuck it. It's a it's a science fiction book, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and it's a science fiction book where the antagonist is Darkseid. But Darkseid is not necessarily wrong. Right, right. That sounds very yeah. And also, he, he fucking, he wins, for want of a better way to put it. So just like I say in the first arc is Starfire, um, Cyborg, Azrael, and Jessica Cruz, Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. And like within, I think it's six issues, three of those four characters have joined Darkseid and are basically being possessed. Hmm. And Justice League Odyssey is one of those remaining characters, and then a bunch of like new slash reboots of existing DC characters. Of course, like Space Cabby gets a reboot. Oh my god, that's amazing! Right? Wow. Um, but it's you know, Abnet really does go. Okay, I know where this has to land. Mm-hmm. You know, like the uh, about a year into Snyder's Justice League, the Source World wall breaks literally just breaks and collapses right um and all the new gods vanish mm-hmm. they just cease to exist hmm. and you realize that that's why dark side is fucked off to where he's gone mm-hmm. so he can survive mm-hmm. because they've made this big point up until that point where they're like everything's cut off from reality mm-hmm. like we can't get a message you we're cut off entirely nothing can get through and then dark side's like yeah that's why i fucking came here right right because <laughs> i knew that was going to happen and so I want to live. And so that's why I'm here. You know, and you're like, okay, that, sure. That right. makes sense. Right. Yeah, it, it's just, I, 
it it was a very strange and like I said, frustrating and rewarding read. Mm-hmm. Um, also, to go back in the Tanyan thing for a second, Tanyan writes something called um, Hell Arisen, mm-hmm. which is I think was meant to be published to coincide with the last issues of Snyder's Justice League, but I'm fairly sure like all three of the four issues ran afterwards. Mm. I'm not quite sure why that happened. Um, but it also sets up Death Metal. And it's one of those things that from the solicitations, and honestly, like three quarters of the series, you're like, well, this is kind of filler. Mm. This is like, you know, it's the countdown arena of of <laughs> villain, right? Right. And then at the end, it does the thing you've been waiting maybe a year for. Mm. But because they haven't done it, you're like, well, they're not going to do it. And then they do it. And you're like, well, this actually ends up being really fucking important. Mm-hmm. Which is the Batman who laughs basically fucks over Lex Luthor mm. and says to Perpetua, I'm the guy that's your ultimate acolyte. Mm. Like, I can do all the things he can because he's ultimately just Lex Luthor. Mm-hmm. And she goes, oh, you're right. Fuck you, Lex Luthor. And basically, like, trashes him. Right. And you're like, oh, that's why the Batman laughs has been here all along. This is like now we have villains we can actually dispose of at the end of Death Metal. Right, right. You know, we can actually finally get rid of Perpetua and Batman laughs, and don't have to worry about anyone reviving them for ten years. Mm-hmm. And get rid of Lex Luthor. Right. You know, Lex Luthor can't stay away for that long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So it, yeah, it's it's this weird thing where you're like, I don't want to read fucking Lobo versus Supergirl. <laughs> You know, and then, and then you're like, oh, but wait, there's this like big thing. That, I mean, the the whole plot of the Batman who laughs corrupting six characters. Yes, there's running through the Batman Superman's story. Yeah, which then leads and... into Hellraiser. Okay, right. Mm-hmm. It's kind of pointless, mm-hmm. right? Especially the characters they chose: mm-hmm. Hawkman, Supergirl, Donna Troy, Blue Beetle, Shazam, and that's right, Commissioner Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like there's maybe potential for stories if you hadn't gone full out. They like they get corrupted and they are all of a sudden like immediately corrupted. Yeah. You know, if they were doing it in secret for a while, right, and fucking things up behind the scenes, there's a story there. Oh, you're you'd be so into that because it's basically like it's a what? reboot Millennium. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. yeah, except it's not like even Millennium was like we've been a manhunter all along. Since this month, (laughs) exactly. Well, because yeah, because they're like, uh, yeah, we're not, we're not, we're not getting rid of Commissioner Gordon. That's not going to happen, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's a fun idea, kind of like, kind of like Secret Invasion, almost. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But no, there is like, say, like if you go, okay, Commissioner Gordon's been corrupted and he has been quietly undermining Batman for months. Sure. Great idea. That's a story. Yeah. Commissioner Gordon all of a sudden does a heel turn and his eyes are bright red. And he's like, ha you'll never understand what's coming. <laughs> he's not an interesting story because he's fucking Commissioner Gordon. Right. Right? Yeah. The same with Supergirl. Poor uh, Jodie Hauser had to do six or eight issues Oof. of Supergirl fighting herself because oh. she's, you know, pure and also corrupted. Right. And there's not really a story there, right? No, no. Uh, Robert Venditti had the same thing with the Hawkman book mm-hmm. where – Carter Hall is trapped inside Hawkman's body because the corruption has unleashed like evil Hawkman from another dimension. Mm. 
there's not really a story there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, same as corrupted Shazam and corrupted Blue Beetle. Mm-hmm. You can say on one hand, well, they've corrupted the most pure, and that's all of the story potential gone in that sentence. Right, exactly. There's nowhere else to go. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so it's it's this, again, like the Justice League run as a whole, there's stuff there that you're like, there really is potential here. Mm. There really are good ideas. But the execution is just can't get out of its own way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think this this is a question is how much of it is the, um, you know, I think we've talked a lot about uh, comic book writers as essentially improv performers, mm-hmm. you know, especially mm-hmm. in the case of Inkelhart. But, you know, you sometimes have those improv exercises where you have a not as good partner and there are pieces to you're the villain. And again, that list that you assembled that feels very Dan DiDio-esque, you know, like, is it that the story, like... I, see, I, I don't know because... No? And he, and here. He, Here's the thing, Jeff. Mm-hmm. When Scott Snyder launched Justice League, which was in two, summer 2018, mm-hmm. I interviewed him at San Diego Comic-Con. And he told me the end of the story. Right. And he got there. Mm-hmm. Every plot point he laid out, he gets to. Sure. Everyone. Mm-hmm. And so... It doesn't. It doesn't feel like improv. I guess is what I'm saying. And also, it doesn't necessarily feel like it's someone else stepping in Snyder's story. Mm-hmm. It feels like Snyder got to tell the story he wanted. It's just that he didn't do very well. Mm. Well, and I do have to admit that the whole um, people, this people choosing the selfishness over the selflessness is something that, of course, I, as I mentioned, like. All that stuff that is that end of that series is talked about in Last Night on Earth. Um, mm-hmm. And it, some of it is a dry – he has a dry run in, I think, that first all-star Batman uh, arc where the whole idea is that Two-Face knows essentially everyone's secrets and everyone will more or less be willing to betray whomever yeah. in order to avoid them yes. coming out. So. Yeah. Um, so you're right. There's a lot of that that feels very inherent to Snyder, what Snyder, the type of story that Snyder's telling or likes well, to tell feel, in some it, yeah, ways. Yeah, uh, that's just it. It feels a very Scott Snyder story, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's just, it's very strange. I, I understand the, how much of this was editorially driven, especially coming from DC. Well, yeah. Especially coming from the focus on villains, mm-hmm. which... Is like is a Dan Didio staple. Yeah, like I feel like we've seen that like two or three times while Didio was was in charge. Right. Um, but I I don't like I think this is legitimately Snyder mm-hmm. and and like and Williamson and and, and Tanya. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just yeah, it just it doesn't. It's not that it's a disaster because it's not like there really is good stuff in there, mm-hmm. but it's just that you have to work honestly too hard for a Justice League comic to get there. Mm. Like there are so many gimmies, mm-hmm. there are so many. I see what he's going for. Mm-hmm. There are so many. 
um, maybe on a second draft. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and honestly, I you look at uh, Odyssey, you look at um, uh, like Justice League Dark. Honestly, even Hell Arisen. You look at Batman Superman. You look at the stuff that isn't Snyder's direct work. Mm-hmm. Each of those is clearer in intent and execution. Mm. All of them, hmm. right? Like you, you cannot dig tiny. Like tiny, tiny, tiny stuff might not be for you, right? Mm-hmm. But you know where he's coming from, and you know what he's trying to say. And arguably, he gets there. Well, I mean, yeah, exactly. The thing is, once I sort of learn to um, relax at my grumpy old manness at a couple of the choices, yeah, Tinian, like you said, in part because his stuff is simpler. It's it's in a way, it's more successful. It's it's because it's he would be loathe to hear it but in a way it's less ambitious you know he kind of just wants to write a really good superhero comic you know yes and even with the ambitious stuff Mm -hmm. in justice league like he tells some of the more important like mythology issues of snyder's run Mm -hmm. and he does a better job than snyder does when snyder's doing stuff Mm -hmm. for my money the most successful snyder scripted issues of that run Uh are the ones where snyder isn't the sole plotter there's an arc where Snyder and uh, Jorge Jimenez mm-hmm. uh, co-plot, mm-hmm. and those are by far the most successful issues for me. Hmm. Uh, it's it's this it's this weird thing where I feel that Snyder, in particular, is getting in his way, mm. which makes curious as all hell for death metal. Right, right. You well, know? I yeah, he normally I think tends to work pretty well with. Capullo generally does a pretty good job of helping him get out of his way or something, or at least keeps it at you a certain level of entertainment. Yeah, I do. I do remember metal, but but metal also, I mean, I don't know. I mean, metal, I don't, I, I see your point. Metal was trying to do too much. And yeah, and death metal is trying to do even more. Well, yeah, yeah. That's true. Like death metal is trying to bring together all of DC continuity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and explain it and restart, not restart it because it's not a reboot. Right. But it's trying to like offer a, 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 a refresher mm-hmm. for DC continuity. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I know they've added an extra issue, but still, you're going to do that in seven issues? Holy fucking shit. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Right. How can you do it without it becoming like just a slog? Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm like, I'm weirdly excited because it is ambitious. Mm-hmm. And I'm also just like, oh, oh boy. Okay. I look forward to reading the collected edition. Because <laughs> I think reading the individual, well, that was my experience with metal, right? Right. Like I liked it in collected edition and in individual issues. I was like, I actually might be going insane. <laughs> I'm not quite sure I know what's going on anymore. I'm not quite sure if any of this makes sense. Right. And it and and it does, and it's like Justice League, where if you read them all together, it does make sense because you see a through line. Mm-hmm. But if you read them serialized, there's lit like you kind of understand what's what's going on, mm-hmm. but it's so rooted in its own minutia mm-hmm. that you blink and you're lost. Mm-hmm. You know. There's a three-issue arc of Martian Manhunter, Hawk Girl, and Green Lantern going to Stanagar mm-hmm. 
to try and find the one like the other remaining Martian, except even in the arc, there's another remaining Martian, but don't even ask. <laughs> and it's, it's, and like, you know, hot girl meets herself. Mm-hmm. And like, there's an explain, there's an explanation about that, which in all seriousness doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. but kind of makes sense. If you remember like one line of dialogue from like seven issues prior, Oof. Yeah, you know, and that's the level of mm-hmm. you're you're. I don't know if it's you're fucking up, but you're thinking people are paying as much attention to this as you are, and they're not because it's a comic. Well, but I mean, I see your point, and I have to say, I I jumped off the Snyder train for a variety of reasons, and I might I keep everything you're saying makes me feel like I kind of want to come back to it. I mean, I should say I, I, that I, I do see. generally, yeah. yeah. But wait until it's on, on um, right DC Universe, mm-hmm. which will be January. Wait until it's on DC Universe and then go through it. Oh, that's going to be such a long time. Well, anyway, um, maybe I'll hit the trades, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, on Hoopla There's which the, get there first. The, literally, the trades in DC Universe are at the same point. Are they? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. For some um, reason, the trades in this are super slow. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's also fine with me i i guess what i'm saying is is that uh having talked a little bit about my frustration with the bendis slap dashy sloppiness that i should like and you know me i'm a little bit more of a formalist and i like the fact that snyder is got his goals and his mission statement and like you said he told you all the beats like a year ago, two years ago, and they more or less have, are all there, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, he basically landed all of them. Yeah, and that's, uh, that is something that I appreciate. And the idea that that is a different way of quote-unquote writing for the trade is um, is good for me, it, is something that I'm interested in. The weird part for me, and this is the part that made me cranky about Justice League Dark, is... Um, Snyder and Tinian both had the this is the biggest threat ever it is going to be the end of everything what do you do when you're staring the apocalypse in the face and then two or three issues later it's in fact part of why I liked the second storyline in Justice League Dark is it's a different story it's like Detective mm-hmm. Chimp has fucked up on his responsibilities and he hid it from everyone else and now, and people have paid the price, and how does that get corrected? And that's a different story, which was such a huge relief, because what I remember reading is honestly going from metal, where it's like, this is literally the end of the universe and apocalypse, what the hell is going to happen, how can we survive this, to, oh, we survived, except now we've unleashed something in Justice League No Justice, which is absolutely yeah. the worst thing ever how are we which, ever going to survive this? Yeah. You know, and then which, goes which into leads justice. To this other thing, which yeah. honestly, I like that. Not not because it's the idea of, um, like you know, Marvel's continual you know, uh, uh, secret invasion. Like you know, civil war leads to the inf- uh, whatever it's called. The right. What was it? Started with I. Initiative. See, uh, some mm. more leads to initiative, leads to secret invasion, leads to dark rain, leads to like you know right. where it felt like it's a never-ending event. Mm-hmm. What I like about Snyder's Justice League is 
one of the things that is clear but never commented on is every time the Justice League thinks they've saved the day, they have only made things worse. Well, sure. And I mean, and I kind of like that as a weird uh, joke is not the right thing, but like it's a meta point. Right. And, it, and it's arguably like it, and it, it reaches a very purposeful, determinate zenith in the end of Snyder's run mm-hmm. where humanity rejects them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the, when humanity chooses selflessness or selfishness, I should say, mm-hmm. um, there's actually an argument that runs through the last storyline, which is we kept thinking that we knew better. Mm-hmm. And that we were going to get around to being accountable to everyone else when all of this stuff was done. But this stuff is never done. Right. And we did better. And we keep making mistakes. Right. Right. And then when humanity discovers what they have done, which is part of that last storyline, mm-hmm. they're basically like, well, fuck that. That didn't work out. Right. Right. You know? So it, like, it, it, there's a, an end point. And ultimately, you know, it's as opposed to the entire universe for a six-year period, mm-hmm. it is realistically like one writer's story for three years. Right, right. Yeah, no, I and I get it. And and so part of me is like, yeah, I should be on board with that, but there was just something about the, um, you know, in a weird way, what it kind of reminds me of is another dude who's sort of, you know, kind of beloved, super formalist, of a certain amount of do we trust him? Uh, Dan Harmon's community had that thing where char- yeah. characters somehow managed to like both move forward and do the exact same thing over and over again in in yes. ways yes. that that felt like a meta point, but was also kind of really exasperating so yes yes yeah so i think you know i i, I thought for a second you're talking about the fact that they got back together you saw that right uh no oh for their their zoom table read or yeah, yeah. Whatever. yeah 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 i did see that but uh, that no. was a very strange thing i loved community when community was on and i saw they all got back together for the zoom read and it's difficult for me to express how much i didn't want that mm, yeah i get it i get it yeah yeah, yeah i was yeah. like nope Nope, nope, none of that, not at all. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Sorry about my yeah, other yes. point then. then. Okay, yes. great. All right, fabulous. Okay, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. I'll have to I'll have to have to revis uh, or which is to say visit. I don't know. Well, well, if you if you are looking at Hoopla, then they have up through issue 26, and it's a 39 issue run. Right. Oof. So they have through they have up through uh, twenty six on mm-hmm. Hoopla right mm-hmm. now, uh, and Marvel. I'm uh, sorry, DC Universe has I think up through twenty five. Wow. Yeah, it's really it's really weird. And for some reason, like I said, the trades are oddly slow. Mm-hmm. So Justice League was a twice monthly book, right? And they're up through twenty six, which is what issue thirteen. Mm-hmm. And Justice League Dark's uh, trades go up to like issue eighteen already. Right. Right. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure why Justice League is so slow. Yeah, I'm. I don't. I don't know. But um, I. I will have to figure it out. Graham, are there are there other things? Are there other oh, yes. books? That you've so, just... so I want. I wanted to very quickly talk mm-hmm. about um, Iron Man. You will have seen me on the Tumblr if you follow the Tumblr. Uh, share images from Stark Wars, the original Ooh. title for Armor Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, 
A, they're great slash terrible comics. They're, I really can't tell where the line is in these mm. comics. They are they're very enjoyable, arguably for the wrong reasons. Um, I mean, Tony Stark's perm mullet is is, <laughs> is very much a choice. Um, Tony Stark almost dying and then talking, making a point to say that he is getting transfused with AIDS tested blood, is another very particular choice. Wow. Uh, um, but what I want, what I actually want to say, besides the fact that like I read a lot of Iron Man comics, and I still think that the Armor War storyline is arguably the best the character ever was, mm. or the character the comic ever was. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched Iron Man the first film. Really? Uh, the this week, uh, because the seven year old had never seen it. Because of course he hasn't. It's twelve years old. Oh Jesus! Good lord! Yeah. Wow. Um, he likes Iron Man because he's seen the Avengers movies, right? And he's never seen the Iron Man movies. And he's like, oh, my God, it's a movie just about Iron Man. It's Iron Man's backstory. Wow. And he did. He lost his mind at all of it. Oh, that's um, great. So, A, I'd forgotten how much of not a Marvel movie it is. Right. Yeah. How it just doesn't follow, follow the Marvel formula because it wasn't a Marvel formula yet. Right. It more or less um, builds the Marvel formula. No, it doesn't. No, that's just it. Maybe the second one does it. The first one doesn't. The first one is much better. Oh, it's very good, yeah. But I mean, uh, don't you think that if nothing else, if you think of part of the Marvel formula is hero faces, you know, evil hero version of self? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. The the origin is like reorg. But that's just it. So watching the the movie again, uh-huh. I realized that it's it's a story that it's a movie that reworks. The Iron Man stories that were, uh, like, very much my Iron Man experience, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Which is Armor Wars is basically the plot of Iron Man. Because Armor Wars, or Stark Wars as they call it in the comic at the time, which is still amusing to me, um, is Tony Stark realizes that his uh, technology has been used to hurt people and loses all sense of perspective in trying to stop that. Mm-hmm. He overwhelms entirely, and he just decides he has to get it back. He has to stop at the end. Right. And that is exactly what movie Tony Stark does when he realizes the terrorists are using his weapons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. It's the same mm. through line. But they mix that with the, the Obadiah Stain arc right. from like two years earlier in the comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, again, was formative Iron Man for me. Yeah, completely. Completely. Right? Because like, yeah. that stuff coming out in like 84, 83. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. No, actually, no, because it came out, it coincided with Secret Wars 2, which would have made it 86? 85, 86. Actually, um, isn't, well, because isn't it, isn't Rhodey in Secret Wars, is in the yes. Iron Man armor yes. in Secret yeah. Wars, right? So yeah. that's the, because the stain stuff is an extension or culmination, it's a culmination of, that. of that. Yeah, yeah. right. Okay. Hang on, I look up the, the publication date of 200, which is when it ended. It's 85. Mm, okay. Um, but but like the the the, the real antagonist of the, the movie is is Obadiah Sane, mm-hmm. who ends up getting in the Ironmonger armor, right? As he does in, in issue two hundred. So I was like, the guys who wrote the Iron Man movie clearly are the same age as me, right? Yeah, yeah, because they clearly grew up in the same comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They get the actual origin part over with really fucking quickly, mm-hmm. and they're like, we're basically remixing Armor Wars and the Obadiah Sane storyline for the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. 
I like, and I've seen that film a couple of times before, mm. and I was like, I've never realized this before. Right. I've never realized the film was based in the comics I grew up with. Wow. And it, and it completely like, did you know that? Am I just saying? No, 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 no. I don't because in part, um, as because I'm a little bit older than you, I basically trailed off during the Rhodey and Obadiah Stane stuff. Kept half an eye on it, and I think maybe read it until Iron Man was back in the armor, and then have missed all of Armor Wars slash Stark Wars, and have been meaning to oh, you, read you've, forever. You've out. Yeah, you've yeah, out. it's great. Yeah, it's great. In it's great because David Michelini and Bob Layton are are gent like they they write a really fun, very particular form of Iron Man, right? But they are also writing like the most nineteen eighties comics you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Tony Stark is oh, – one of the things, it's, it's kind of – it was amusing to me. Like, they're very clear that Tony Stark fucks. Yes. In, yeah. Like, yeah. as clear as you can be in a code-approved comic in, like, 80, 86 or whatever. Right. But they're, like, they're incredibly clear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Tony's like, hey, let's go back to my apartment. Then it's like, the next morning, here they are in different clothes. And yes. Like, oh, of course. Yeah. But, you know, because it is 86, it's him and his, his date are, like – Playing tennis and talking about how they're playing, they normally play with uh, like Ivan Lendl and Steffi Graf. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's the weirdest like name dropping celebrity culture yeah. of the eighties. Mm-hmm. Like Don Johnson appears at one point, but because no a they couldn't get likeness rights, or b no one can draw likeness, you can't tell it's Don Johnson <laughs> until you realize initially he's making a, a Miami Vice reference, and the guy is not clean shaven. Wow. Yeah, it's it's stuff like that, and it's just it's fascinating. It's this perfect sort of artifact of the mid eighties. Wow, genuinely love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's a smart yeah, smart I, yeah, era. I, I highly, yeah. Yes, I highly recommend uh, anyone who is wondering what the hell they should do with their reading uh, and has Marvel Limited go back and read the the Michelini laden Mark Bright run. Mm-hmm. Which is like 201 through like 230 something. Mm-hmm. And then stop. <laughs> I just say that right now. Stop. Uh-huh. Then. Um, because it, oh, I made the mistake of reading Armor Wars 2, mm-hmm. which because, again, Armor Wars wasn't called Armor Wars when it was published, is a sequel to a story that never existed, first of all. <laughs> Secondly, um, because I love Marvel Age, uh, mm-hmm. I have an interview with scripter John Byrne about Armor Wars 2, where he admits that he didn't know what Armor Wars was about. Mm. And so he's just written his own story and called it Armor Wars 2. Oh, no. And thing number three, it's a fucking mess. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, we can complain about creators now dropping balls. We can say, you know, Bendis is sloppy or whatever. That's fucking nothing compared with what John Byrne is turfing out. Really? It's it's almost incomprehensible. Wow. It's it's shocking. I mean, it's genuinely shocking. And also, you realize how little John Byrne cares about Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Like, Michelini and Leighton are writing, like I said, like, you know, 1980s Iron Man. Mm-hmm. But they're writing Tony Stark as a character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I... That's not true, John Byrne. John Byrne has plugged in generic superhero into the story. Uh, and I was like, oh, fuck, okay, fine, generic supervillain, but I'll call him the Mandarin. Oh, no. You know, and just, oh, yeah, it's 
Oh, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like it's 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 horrible. I mean, it's it's genuinely horrible. And then, like I skipped ahead, I read the the Tom Taylor Superior Iron Man, which is nine issues of when Iron Man was kind of a bad guy, right? Which he never fucking resolved, which is hilarious to me, right? Um, it I, like you didn't read that, but he he basically weaponizes extremists. Hmm. He gets everyone hooked on extremists via a free trial. And then makes them subscribe to it. Because, of course, because Extremis is an app now, by the way, Jeff. Oh, of course. Uh, uh, and and then, and he's doing this while he's like, he's been Axis. Do you remember Axis, which made certain characters evil and certain oh, evil yeah. characters? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so he he doesn't get changed back, right? Mm-hmm. So he's, he's still morally flipped. And so he does this and he gets everyone addicted and like, he gets hit the... the the antagonists of the series are Pepper Potts and uh, Tony Stark AI in one of his suits, suits of armor, mm-hmm. who are basically trying to save the day. Right. And they kind of succeed in that, like, they get extremists out of everyone. And the city of San Francisco realizes Tony Stark is an asshole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they don't succeed because, like, Tony has to win because he's the smartest person of all. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of the series. Wow. Right? Because they can't turn Tony back. But then they clearly no one at Marvel realized that no one ever turns Tony back because Secret Wars happens. Right, right. Right? Oh. So no one ever turns Tony Stark back and you could go, it's fine, like, the universe got restarted, whatever. Right. But they also then, no one ever finished that story. Mm. So you get this weird thing where, like, nothing, like, they leave the the, the story with San Francisco hates Tony Stark with good reason because he's tried to get people addicted to his technology. Right. And that's never mentioned again. Wow. Ever. Anywhere. Mm. Um, so I read that. I read the Bendis run. Mm-hmm. I read the Kieran Gillen run. Mm-hmm. Like, and all the ways in which, and then in Dan Slott run, like all the ways in which Tony Stark has been utterly destroyed as mm-hmm. a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, because between the the Gillen, Bendis, and Slot runs. Tony Stark is not Howard and Marie Stark's son. Right. He's adopted. Mm-hmm. They have another. Right. Um, that kind of gets retconned in itself mm-hmm. because Gillen's explanation is uh, an alien helped Howard and Maria genetically manipulate the unborn kid. Right. Howard then gets worried and genetically manipulates the unborn kid before the uh, like before after the alien has 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 um, done his 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 stuff, but before he leaves Earth. So they have to pretend that there's another son, and so they adopt Tony. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. and then they just get to tell Tony all of this, <laughs> and they hide away Tony's on un- Tony's brother as well. Right. Uh, Arno, uh, right? Because, Isn't it Arno? Because, or no? because Arno has been born and he mm-hmm. is entirely paralyzed mm. because of all the genetic manipulations, mm. right? Then it goes into Bendis' run, and Bendis is like, "Well, I'm going to introduce, I'm going to explain who Tony's real parents are." Mm-hmm. Mm. And he goes, "They're spies, because oh. of course they're fucking spies." Oh no! Like, like they're... So one of them is a Shield agent whose day job is international rock star. And, this sounds and, horrible, I have to say. And Tony's dad is a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent who's actually a double agent for HYDRA who was killed by his mom. Oh, wow. 
right? Then during Ben's run, Tony dies because he dies in Civil War and he comes back to life at the end of the run. Right. You right? mean Civil War Two, just so that... Civil War Two, yes. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Right. And he then, co- yes. that mm-hmm. in Slot Run Slot he's not Tony Stark, he's an artificial intelligence. Because mm. Tony Stark died. Wow. There is no Tony Stark anymore. So is it the same Tony Stark AI as was uh, no. fighting no. Tom Taylor? And... No, no. Okay. It's, wow. a, it's a different AI. Wow. Because the, the Tony AI in Tom Taylor run gets destroyed. Oh, I see. Okay. But it's a different AI mm-hmm. because the argument is basically um, he – Tony, when he returns in the Bendis run. Right. Uh, like the fraction run for that matter, basically backed himself up and then comes back. Yes. Right. And then Slot goes, well, you can't back up someone. That automatically makes them an artificial intelligence. Mm. And so there is no Tony Stark anymore. Hmm. That, that between you know all the various genetic manipulations Tony's gone through, you know his body's died and come back, this uh, backed up his memory, blah blah blah. There is no Tony Stark anymore. Which is nuts to me because there is. Honestly, something simple and graceful about he is the genius son of a billionaire, like, war man. Yes. uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Then decides that he's going to be a superhero. Yeah. Like, that's simple. Yeah. When you introduce all of these complications. Yeah. Like, it's a fucking mess. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And I I understand that each creator was like, well, I'm going to do something different. Mm -hmm. Right? I want to have an impact. But when you have each of these impacts following each other, you have actually destroyed Tony Stark. Well, actually, uh, Graham, if you don't if you don't mind me hopping in, in here, one of the things I d- did want to say is, you know, I have a tendency to be Mister Like, oh yeah, Dan DiDio stepping in and blah blah blah. There's a lot to be said for how much there there was the point where. It looked with Marvel as if Marvel's marketing announced what essentially what was going to happen. And then the 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 creative summits were kind of how are we going to pull this off? And I, I just sure. mentioned want to mention that because on the one hand, like you said, yes, there's a lot of stamp on the character. I also feel that essentially Marvel marketing had all but bragged David Gabriel in an article at all but bragged like over the next two years, we are going to kill all of the major characters or make them evil or both. And one could arguably say that did in fact go on to happen with a lot of these characters, Uh, you know, superior Spider-Man, superior Iron Man, you know, you get evil versions running around, then they die, then they come back, but do they, or are they really still dead? You know what I'm saying? Like, do you think that that is, um, these guys, in a way, is it really the creators being like, this is what I'm doing, or are they being handed the marching orders and they have to come up with more or less the best solution to what they've been given, which is why they, um, you know, basically why everything ends up being an incredibly convoluted mess. I don't, I, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel that you look at things like, 
you look at the other books that are happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I feel that Iron Man has been... This is, this is a melodramatic term, but Iron Man has been through like a character assassination in the way that other characters just haven't. Right. And I think it's ha- actually happening because Iron Man, in the mo- thanks to the movies, has become such a big character. Mm-hmm. And I think creators want to do something with that character. Mm-hmm. It's just that, again... You've, like it's it's honestly like you know death of superman in, in the 90s mm-hmm. and then i mean you may or may not remember but death of superman came back like came back and then within like a year if not less mm-hmm. they were like and now here's the character from his childhood who knows who he is and then he's dead again like they had an art called dead again and then he's got amnesia mm-hmm. and they kept on trying to like top themselves right and it's like that, but with things that are more serious and less gimmicky mm-hmm. than the Superman things we're doing, and also ultimately far more destructive. Right, right. You know, where they're all like, oh, what's that you say? So, uh, Iron Man's adopted. Fuck that. I've got his parents. They're spies. What's that? He's a spy. I've killed him off. What's that? I've killed him all. You brought him back, but no, it doesn't matter. That's not the real Iron Man anymore. There is no real Iron Man. And it's yeah. just like... Jesus, I'm exhausted, and also, where is Tony Stark in this? Right, exactly. And I, I know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I should say, like, even as I say that, I know that I'm sounding like someone who's like, I'm going to join like Heat, I'm the House <laughs> Emerald Action Team, right? But there's also, I think the marketplace or the industry has changed, mm-hmm. um, to the point where like we know that Tony Stark is going to be restored at some point. It's mm-hmm. not like you know. When people thought that maybe Kyle Rayner was going to stick, and right. to be fair, Kyle Rayner stuck for a really fucking long time. Oh, well, honestly, because uh, yeah, because I think DC thought that Kyle Rayner was going to stick for a good long time. You know, I mean, uh, up until the point no, where okay, suddenly, like, they, Kyle, yeah. Rayner, Kyle Rayner stuck around for like more than a decade, like yeah. twelve years, thirteen years, right? Um, and like that's not going to happen. Tony Stark's going to say fucking say Iron Man, mm-hmm. um, but also there's. Uh, there's a cynicism to doing the big stories now. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was always obvious that Superman was coming back. Mm-hmm. Right? But there felt like something of an of an adventure and trying to do something, maybe not innovative, but something interesting with that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you knew that Bruce Wayne was coming back as Batman. Mm-hmm. But, like, that story was purposely done with a very particular uh, origin point and a very particular end point. Right. You know, like the creator said, even at the time, we're doing this story because so many people are saying Batman should kill, and we don't think Batman should kill, but we're going to give you a Batman who kills to show you why. Right, right. You know, they said that at the time. Yeah. And I don't think, like, I don't think any of this Iron Man stuff is going anywhere because, A, we're on our third set of writers well, since yeah. all of this stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And, B, it's none of it's additive. Right. No, it's all it's there, all it, there, yeah. It, there isn't a new Iron Man who's well there is, there's Arno, but Arno is very deliberately being set up to fail. Mm-hmm. Like Arno is being set up as as the inferior Iron Man. <laughs> you know, I, I have to say Iron Man twenty twenty. They could have called it the inferior Iron Man. But um <laughs> The Inferior Iron Man. For five bonus points, Graham, compare and contrast with Necropolis. Necropolis, the the oh, I'm just I'm just part of me is being fun. I'm like oh, being set up to fail. Where have I heard that before? And I just I I no, wanted okay. to okay. Yeah. 
compare and contrast. One, Wagner's writing the whole thing. Two, it's of a course. very finite story. Yes. Like, the story takes place over less than a year of time. Mm-hmm. Like, Gillen introduced uh, the idea that Tony Stark was adopted seven years ago. Yeah, it's a long time back. Yeah. You know? Um, the It had a point. We get back to the thing about the thing. Like, it had a point. Mm-hmm. And also, it serves to change Dredd. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it, the, the point is to service Judge Dredd as a character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, I don't, I mean, if that's really happening for, for Tony Stark, I don't see how it's happening. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you take it at that, that realm of, I agree. I don't get me wrong. I was just kind of curious when you were describing it. I'm like, oh, an Iron Man being set up to fail. Well, that might be kind of interesting, except sort of in that weird way that Iron Man being set up to fail is itself a story that has been told various Done. iterations. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it just it's it's a weird thing. It's uh, it, but it does sort of it's it was weird reading like such a chunk of Iron Man in such a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Because I like I said, I came kept coming back to well, the mid eighties Iron Man is like dated as shit, right? And is in many ways like comedic and and you know embarrassing and enjoyable for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. But it's also a fun Iron Man that doesn't seek to recreate the character, but instead just have fun with the character. Well, and, and in a Do way entertaining, that, right? But like you said, in a way because that is the stuff. That, as you point out, the Iron Man scriptwriters ended up looking to for the movie, like it influences the Tony Stark and the Iron Man of the films, which then more or less puts it because it's been reinvented for this millennium, you know, this era also seems to make sense. At least, I mean, you know, pre 2020, even 20 to 16 to 2020, depending on what your definition of the hellscape is, you know, there was a lot of room for tech guys being um, indulgently over the top in a way that makes sense with Tony Stark in that particular incarnation. And instead Mm -hmm. they went in a very, like you said, they went with a very different route. What I think is funny is how much Tony Stark is, for myself, as an older dude, I read a lot of Tony uh, Iron Man growing up that was like, I think I first stopped reading around, like, after maybe it's issue 100. Like, I'm reading, like, up to issues 114 or something like that and finally gave up. But, like, in the late 60s, early 70s, Tony is a mopey son of a bitch. You know what I mean? Because it's that era of um, the romantic soap opera comic, but with heavy undercurrents of Tony Stark being like, oh, you know, every time it turns around, he's like plugging his lousy ass uh, chest plate into a cigarette lighter in the back of his car being like, please don't die. Must have enough power. Why won't Pepper forgive me? Yes, exactly. And the transistors. So it's kind of funny. I'm like, huh? Yeah, no, I think, I think sort of mopey ruined Tony Stark is also is when the character really didn't work, mind you, but is it's, it's in his DNA. Jeff, here's the thing. We are over two hours. Yes, we are. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a musical interlude. You you promised me, but there's one thing that I have to ask your opinion on. Okay, but we have to do it super quickly. Yes, the Snyder Cut. Okay, ready for my musical number? Oh, good. Oh, I didn't realize they're the same thing. I'm so excited, Jeff. Uh, should I introduce you? Sure. Whatnots. It's uh, it's been a long episode, and I think you'll agree that all of us need. In these trying times, uh, a little bit of levity, a little bit of hope, a little bit of beauty. And with that in mind, I introduce uh, Mr. Jeffrey Lester. Snyder Cut, Snyder Cut, they're releasing the Snyder Cut. Less super stash, more super butt. That's how they're going to save HBO Plus. Oh yeah, save by the spot, Snyder Cut. Blah, blah, blah. It's four hours or maybe six. You can bet Affleck is shitting bricks. He's back. Ah, thanks to the spider cut. Do, do, do. Warner's needs to compete with old Disney Plus. So they stoked the nerd elite. So they made quite the fuss. Snyder cut, Snyder cut. Sure, why not? Let's watch Snyder's cut. Normal Whedon lines in which to groan. Batman using Darkseid's skeleton as a xylophone. That's right. That's in the Snyder, probably. He just needs more money. Then we'll see the Snyder cut. Ah, ah, ah. I've got to be honest. That was worth everything that's ever happened in this podcast up to this point. (laughs) If anyone is like, why, why have you been doing this for so long? Like, like what, what has, has, wait, what ever contributed to like culture? I will say, Jeff's fucking Snyder Cut song. <laughs> we have peaked. It will never get better. There was one point, honestly, where I was like, oh, see, this is a funny joke. And then you went like, I've got a second verse. Yeah. And I, 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 my soul left my body in a good way. <laughs> it was feeling, it was the feeling, Jeff, of, of seeing that Neil Gaiman had been talked to by the police. <gasps> Oh, I missed that. <laughs> no, okay, what? So, okay, so Neil Gaiman is in Scotland right now. The the whole, like, you know, he, he and, and Amanda Palmer needed some distance, right? Yes. And so he wrote a blog post and he was like, you know, uh, we're not getting divorced, which honestly, like, good for them. Like, right. as much as I think both of them are ridiculous and, and you know, in many ways, terrible people, mm-hmm. you know, a marriage not breaking up is a good thing right so right. good for them yeah. and he's like we just need a distance we need some space and we were not getting space in, space in where we were and he said something along the lines of like and also I just needed to be in the same time zone as people I talked to so I left New Zealand and I flew to the UK and then I drove from London to Sky Ooh. which is like it's basically the length of Britain mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, and he went and I did it very safely like I picked up a car without meeting anyone they left the keys in the car and they left foods and i did it and i didn't see anyone i was i was the most safest i could be and it was very sad and i'm very emotional and you know thank you for understanding and the internet were like wait (laughs) you fucking flew across the world and then drove the length of britain yeah in the middle of a pandemic Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, neil gaiman smartly at this point said nothing right right? what the fuck are you gonna say yeah and then, like two or three days later, there was actually a news report of Neil Gaiman has been talked to by the authorities. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw that and I was like, 
you know what? Sometimes the world gives you good gifts. <laughs> right? Sometimes the world gives you good gifts. And yes, that's how I felt hearing the second verse and forward from Snyder Cut. I, I would have I would have enjoyed just you singing in, in in general, you singing anything. Right. That song was a masterpiece. <laughs> a masterpiece. Well, and I thank can't you. tell you how how happy I am that you did it. I can't tell you how much I hope that a whatnot actually has like a, an instrumental version of the sixty Spider Man theme. <laughs> and I put that together with your song uh, mm. i really hope so please someone tell me you can do that please it's tough because i realized that second verse i'm like oh i cut it short somehow uh but i you know because i was in such a hurry to catch the bridge and then the closing part so i mean i, I did I, commit I, to the I, bit so, someone's someone's gonna make it happen yeah please please someone make it happen <laughs> uh that was that was amazing i okay. i uh I, you know, secrets behind the podcast, etc. I knew about the standard cut a couple of days early. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I heard, I was like, what? Mm-hmm. But also, of course. Right. You know? Yeah. What I didn't know was that there isn't a Snyder Cut mm-hmm. and that HBO is paying 20 to $30 million to make through a Snyder Cut. Yeah. Which is, like, honestly, a whole new level of just going, fuck it. Yeah. Yep. Right, it, it like nothing looks quite as desperate as saying that thing you guys want doesn't exist, but we will spend twenty to thirty million dollars making sure that it does. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's impressive, mm-hmm. and also honestly, feels like a terrible decision. I personally think so, despite taking apart from being amused with the idea for the song. I'm not sure that I have much any, of a horse. Yeah, that. I didn't. I didn't necessarily like. I thought Whedon's Justice League was terrible, but I also thought the parts in it that were really Clearly terrible. Snyder's. Yeah, were also Snyder's. Exactly. Exactly. There was there was shit that happened to Whedon where some of it was bad and some of it was bad because of him, and some of it was bad because of what they wanted from him. Like that whole opening sequence with Batman that clearly was supposed to be semi-comedic and was mm-hmm. sort of a Whedon-esque pivot in that way. But then they made the, they redid it to make it more serious sounding by shitting the soundtrack out all over it. It was just so many, there, it was a, it's a deeply compromised movie, you know, but <laughs> yes, that is a good way of describing it. Right. I really want to revisit it. Cause I remember being like, it's not as bad as Avengers. And part of that is, I really don't like Avengers. Yes, um, but I do. I like I this this news came out, and I was like, I want to rewatch Justice League. And I don't think it's on HBO uh, Go or whatever. The the non. Are you sure? Or, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they pulled I, it. It was on the there until recently. But here's yeah. the thing: I don't really know enough that I've looked for it because right. there's been lots of other good things to watch. <laughs> I should true. say, have you watched The Great on Hulu yet? No. No, but I I am in, very interested. So yeah. good. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's. I was going to say it's great, but that sounds like a pun. It, I really loved it. Like mm-hmm. we burned through it in like a few days. Right. Um. It and it literally started watching it immediately after watching Death of Stalin, which I don't know if you've seen. No, which I would love to see because, of course, Amando Iannucci. So yeah, and honestly, they felt very much of a of a piece. Hmm. Interesting. Which I feel is a 
very high compliment to the great, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. You know? Uh, yeah. Uh, but no, like we've been watching things that we like. Mm-hmm. I'm not so Iron Man, but you know, seven-year-olds. Dude, um, did you? You said you sounded like you liked Iron Man, though. I, I did, but at the same time, like I've seen it. Mm-hmm. I said I watched Star Trek Beyond yesterday as well. Ooh, no. Okay, that's I, not good. Yeah, I, I have a, I have a complete weakness for the, the Star Trek movies. I do too, but not that movie. That's the Cumberbatch no, no, one, in, right? Into Darkness is the terrible one. That's the oh. end of Cumberbatch one. Oh, okay. Star Trek Beyond is that the third one? Yes. Oh, yeah. No, no. I take it back. That one's good. That's enjoyable. Yeah, I'd yeah, actually yeah, like to yeah. see that one again, in fact. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But, yeah, it, it was uh, – yeah, yeah. But anyway, I haven't looked for just see if Justice League's on, in part because I also know that no one else would want to see it. Right. Like I'd put it on and everyone would justifiably be like, why are you watching why this? Why are you doing this to us? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah. I feel like I watched it. Twice or something. I what? Or I don't know. I mean, it was really so profoundly unenjoyable that it it felt like watching it twice. You know, but who knows? Yeah, yeah. I've I've seen it one and a half times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I definitely started watching it at some point because it was on HBO. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also know I didn't finish it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that's not a. a that's not intended as like, oh, well, it's so terrible. It was one of those like something distracted. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I, I mean, that is part of the pleasure, actually, of watching movies on HBO. You can kind of wander off. And then, yeah. particularly if you've got it on streaming, you turn around and you just restart it. And yeah, no, it's, yeah. a, it's a different experience. And in fact, one of the things that I sort of like that was mentioned as a little bit of a semi-throwaway is, is at one point Snyder talks about reconfiguring it into the idea of several episodes and he's kind of like yes and cliffhangers and things and i'm like it's part of what i liked was already the idea that they were retooling whatever the mythical snyder cut would be to kind of become something new Yes, you yeah, know? exactly. It's not going to be a movie. Like, yeah. he's already said, like, you know, it's four hours or six or eight. Yeah. And it's probably a miniseries. I don't know if you saw, but someone on Twitter was like, now I can finally say it. Like, I played Darkseid in Scott, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Oh, wow. No, who was that? That's great. Uh, someone I've never heard of. Just Ray Was it a motion some... cap? Sure thing? Uh, oh. I don't. No, Ray, not Ray. Ray Porter. Ray hmm. Porter. Huh. Don't know who he is, but yeah, he, he said it on the 22nd. Who's, who's um, the guy who played Punisher in Punisher Warzone? Was that Ray Wise, who was also in uh, Rome? Ray Wise is, to the best of my knowledge, um, Leland Palmer in Twin Peaks. Oh, okay. Then, right. Oh, I think you're right. So, okay. So, who am I thinking of? Who is the... <laughs> he would have made a great Punisher, though. He, he, he would have been. He would have made a great dark side, let's face it. You know, crazy glower. Uh, let's see here. Um, who am I thinking of? Punisher Wars. Ray Winstone. <laughs> Ray Winstone. Yeah. So, um... Ray Winstone would be a great Punisher. I would watch the shit out of that. Um, Ray Stevenson. It was Ray Stevenson, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. So, so Darkseid's in it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Darkseid's going to be in it, I assume. And, um... You know, and Batman's going to play a skeleton like a xylophone. Weren't you? Weren't you uh, we weren't we you can listen? only hope. Yeah, yeah. Can only hope. I, I honestly, 
I swear to God, I did not know your song was about the Snyder Cut. I am so happy. <laughs> so happy that I gave you the perfect lead-in. You really I did. Can't, I can't tell you. I, I am I am overjoyed <laughs> at that, that that came together like it did. Yeah. It, yeah. It's a completely accidental and yet really the high point of this podcast let's be honest um we're, we're unless there's something you want to say jeff i think we should quit while we're ahead no i i i agree how can you how how can you beat the snyder cut that's what hbo plus is saying nothing nothing can beat it show notes for this episode and hopefully lyrics for jeff's snyder cut song <laughs> <laughs> i look i'll be honest i hope there's a, an individual mp3 just of the snyder cut song <laughs> Available on waywhatpodcast.com. Um, we have a Tumblr of waywhatpod.tumblr.com. We have an Instagram, instagram.com forward slash waywhatpod. We have a Twitter account at waywhatpodcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at lazybastard at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. And I have to ask on behalf of Chloe, where did your current avatar come from? Oh, my current avatar is um, Mort from Bazooka Joe Comics. Uh, so. Okay. She was convinced, she was like, "Is that Tintin? Is that from Tintin?" So I, it's it's actually one of the best uh, drawings uh, from a Bazooka Joe comic strip that has ever happened. I was like, I was wearing my mask for such a long time, and I'm like, I feel like that jerk from the Bazooka Joe comics. So I think it it looks quite nice. So I thank thank Chloe for asking. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Lisa Bassett, L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S, I'll try it again, L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-T. I am at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Jeff, we're a Patreon supporter podcast, and this is when you step in to tell everyone about Patreon and the wonders therein. Indeed. Uh, really, the wonders of Patreon are a reflected glory from that of you, the listeners yourselves, because, you know, all of your years of generous listening to our um, crazy comics-related babble, and and as many people have pointed out, non-comics-related babble, um, has managed to keep us motivated and uh, blabbing at one another for, geez, I, we really do. Sometimes it seems crazy to say a decade, but it, I believe it has been a decade. I'm for whatever reason denying that, even though it's, I think, genuinely true. I'm like, wow, my brain's like, I, it's because I'm so bad at math. I'm like, no, we started in like 2009, 2010, Jeff. It's been a decade. Additionally, um, the last five years, I believe it is, have been a, a, a especially a great and productive time for Graham and I, thanks to the fine listeners at Patreon, who... Uh, in addition to the support of their ears, also throw in a bit of support from their wallet and give us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh to keep us um, motivated and pedal to the metal, as it were. Um, thanks to hitting stretch goals that we set up, our monthly reading, uh, monthly podcast, Drock, which is a read-through of Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files, uh, is well over a year in, and we also read the first 416 issues of Fantastic Four in our Baxter in 50 episodes of our Baxter Building podcast. I'm I'm quite pleased by those, and in fact, I'm actually really pleased to to have the delight 
of singing to uh, my best friend um, and trying to make him laugh. And and you guys actually, hopefully, I'm hoping, also laughing uh, in return. So really want to thank you, the listeners, the Patreon supporters, uh, especially friend of the podcast, Dominic L. Franco and Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Um, we're especially uh, grateful for their continuing support of this podcast and in the Empress's case of our little neck of the galactic woods. Um, we thank you, Audrey. Graham? So quiet. Did you mute yourself? Snyder cut. I, Snyder I cut. Did. I, <laughs> I almost didn't unmute myself because she started singing the Snyder cut. Sorry, <laughs> um, I, what I was saying, even though I muted myself, because I try and stay very quiet when Jeff does the Patreon thing, otherwise I interrupt him, which is really bad. <laughs> um, I was going to say that there have been many, uh, many reasons. Uh, to enjoy Wade Watts across the years and, and Drock and, and Baxter Building. And we very much appreciate the the attention and the affection and the love and the money that you guys have given. Yeah. Jeff singing the Snyder Cuts uh, song. <laughs> it's it's never going to get better. I'm Aww. just going to put that out there. Mm-hmm. It's never going to get better. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that in mind, we're ending the podcast right now. Good night. <laughs> Uh, no, we are going to be back in two weeks. Uh, I always almost want to say with the drug, but it's not. It's a regular rate what in two weeks, and I, I, it's, it is two weeks, right? I'm not making that up. I Jeff. don't remember honestly. I'm like, I'm, sounds good to me, I, but let's let me let me check. check. It is. It is two weeks. Oh, good. Why are we doing the? Oh, because it's the. Yeah, basically, that's honestly it. That's it because it's still the it's still basically yeah. May next week. Okay, that sounds great. Um, yeah, we're, yes. we're we're back two weeks, everyone, and, and for a powerhouse weeks. of a month. So if if we're hoping, if we're lucky, <laughs> Jeff might find reason to like write another song, maybe to the witch theme song or something. <laughs> like I, all I'm saying is. Uh, you haven't really properly addressed the Back the Comeback campaign from Diamond. Oh, and yeah. if you could do that uh, in music, preferably the music of a 1960s cartoon or sitcom. How about then this? I, I would... How about John Barry's, one of James Bond themed songs? Like, sure. Back the Comeback. I'm supposed to be doing For Your Eyes Only by Sheena Easton, but... Uh, <laughs> Why did you go for Sheena Easton of all one? It's I don't know. It's like the first or first song. Bah, bah, bah. Yeah, uh, they call him you know, Steve Jeppy. Um, I should tell you that uh, there was a file uh, about two weeks ago. I think where I got really like I couldn't get the Man with the Golden Gun song out of my head. Oh yeah. But only the one line, he's got a purple weapon. <laughs> <laughs> on a loop. Uh, I All whatnots who are curious, go and find Lulu's uh, The Man with the Golden Gun. Because it's actually a great song. Mm-hmm. But she's got very particular delivery of he's got a purple weapon. Yeah. Which was the only thing that looped in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pronunciation of weapon, which for some reason I feel that only Lulu could do. Mm. Lulu, who is... 
wonderful in case anyone thinks that I'm taking the piss. I love Lulu. Love Loves Love is one of the best songs ever recorded. I'm never going to say a bad word about Lulu apart from that take that song in the, in the 1990s. Then Maybe not. Uh, no, thank you. Uh, we are going to be back in two weeks, like I said. Bye! <laughs> Good save. <laughs>